Greetings and welcome, everyone, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Hard News on Friday nights on Radio Station One. We're so grateful you're joining us tonight, and this is Rainbird. I forgot to say that part. (laughs) Anyway, we are going to just set the tone for the evening by taking a few gentle breaths. So breathe in slowly and exhale slowly, whatever b- protocol you like to use. I like breathing into the mouth, out through the mouth, I mean into the nose and out through the mouth, but whatever suits you, just do that exercise intentionally, gently, slowly, let go of that drop of the day. You go into your heart space, gather with your guides, your guardians, your spirit team, your healing team, your totems, your ancestors, whoever you like to journey with on this this Kimi day. This is the Kimi drum that we're going to journey with, a Kimi drum, and this is a the White Crystal World Bridger Kimi Day, 12 Kimi. So we're uh, working with that that crystal energy. That um, cooperation, dedication, universalizing are the key words for crystal. And Kimi, the World Bridger, those key words are equality, Opportunity and death. And it's a true Kimi drum <clears throat> from a goat named Kimi. And it's made this one in a good way, in a sacred way, in a giving and loving way. So let's talk to this Kimi drum. We still have to go around that council fire. So there is a fire in the center. So let's gather around that fire in that virtual way we know how to do. And let the drum take us. We are going to call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. May wisdom open in a dawn that is fine so that we may see things clearly.
welcome from the north, the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may be empty from within. the house of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. the house of eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruit of the planetary being. Of days. So it's, 
It's a twelve kimi, the white crystal world bridges. And uh that world bridger energy is a warrior aspect. It's about forgiveness, moving into a state of grace. And it, it brings these gifts of being the world bridger, bridging between the past and the future. Transmutation. So let's let go of that which is no more. Let's go of the ego, any controlling behavior. Let's go of that belief that life is a struggle as we embrace these energies. So this, the key words that I mentioned in the beginning, I'll say them again. The number 12, the crystal tone. Universalizing, cooperation, and dedication. Kimi, that linker of worlds. Keywords are equality, opportunity, and death. So, <clears throat> there you go. <laughs> That's that. Here's the mantra for today, and I dedicate in order to equalize universalizing opportunity and feel the store of death with the crystal tone of cooperation. I'm guided by the power of endlessness. The guiding energy today is the mirror, Exxon. And uh, so the ally today is the Skywalker, the red Skywalker. And challenge teacher today is the yellow warrior, Keeb. So, <clears throat> that's all of it. What? Oh, the occult. I forgot that one. Yes, the occult power today is the blue eagle. So, we have that big picture working with us. And that understanding of every tiny detail in that big picture as we go forward on this day and work with this energy tonight. We always work with the occult energy in the, um, from from dusk to midnight. And, and besides, we work with it all day long. That occult energy is with us in this Kimi energy on this Kimi day, the white crystal world bridger. So there you go. That's for today and then tomorrow. It's the 13 Monique, which is the blue cosmic hand, or deer. And Monique is a healing aspect. And it's about healing ourselves and others and creating contentment and peace. And that acceptance of the divine or the divinity of ourselves. So let's embrace these gifts of being that healer of humankind. Having that ability to open new doors as we let go of any distraction or any belief in inadequacy or, and let go of procrastination as we embrace these energies on Saturday. And that's that 13 tone. So that's that promise of change. We've gone through that whole wave and we're, trans, we're transmuting and 
transforming the energy into a new wave, and the new wave is Lamotte. So on Sunday, it's a yellow magnetic star. That magnetic tone is the first tone of the wave, and that energy carries. As we com- just completed the wave of the blue, we are in the wave of the blue eagle right now. So that eagle energy has been with us the last 13 days. So on Sunday, we begin that new wave with that star energy. And that's about bringing beauty and seeing beauty in all things. So it's a visionary aspect. And illumination of humankind is the work that comes with this energy as we open that stargate. We embrace these gifts of journey and that pioneer spirit and having that power to see beyond the gate. So let's let go of any dissonance, any self-doubt as we embrace these energies on Sunday and into this new wave of the, of the star, of Lamont. And then on Monday, it's the two Muluk. And Muluk is the moon, and the two is also the moon. It's the lunar tone. So it's a red lunar moon. And Monday is also Indigenous Peoples Day. So we'll be celebrating that on Monday. And uh, we'll celebrate it with this moon energy. It's an artist aspect in that wise use of the rational mind and listening to spirit's direction as we do that. So let's embrace these gifts of having that contact with spirit, remembering what we came here to do. Universal mind is our mind. So let's use our telepathy as we go through this day on Indigenous Peoples Day and let go of any insensitivity or any attachment to omens or or self-doubt. So that's Monday and then going on to Tuesday, it's a 10-10 in our calendar that we use. So in in the mind record of days, it's a three arc, the dog, and Three is the electric tone. So it's the white electric dog day on the 1010. It's an artist aspect. So we're working with unconditional love that the dog knows how to teach us so well. We're healing the pain of the past as we embrace these gifts and having that contact with spirit guides and that awareness of destiny, that awareness of past lives. And that loyalty to humankind. Let us let go of fears or any unwise use of anger. And it's that electric tone, so it's activating that unconditional love. It's a very activating tone. The three tones is, is, is very busy doing that. It's one of the organic tones. And <clears throat> numbers, in, in the way we look at numbers, and in the Mayan calendar, it's called the electric tone. So, activating. So let's go on to the next day. <laughs> it's a four chewing, which is the blue self-existing monkey. It's Wednesday, and it's an artist aspect. So we're balancing work and play, and paying attention to clarity of mind and that wise use of magical artistry. Look at that monkey energy. So let's embrace these gifts of innocence and spontaneity, and ability to play and laugh and laugh at ourselves. 
and let go of any insensitivity or datedness, resistance to compassion, or mistrust as we embrace these energies on Wednesday. And on Thursday, it's a five ebb, the yellow overtone human. That overtone is a harmonica, harmonic, and it's like the top of the, this is the activator, it's like the top of the pyramid and activating the, yeah, the points of the pyramid, so it's a very powerful tone that way. And yet, is a human. And human is a healing aspect, and it's about enlightenment of humankind and activating cosmic consciousness. It's about attuning to spirit. Let's embrace these gifts of being that human servant, warrior, the gift of abundance, the gift of contact with other dimensions. As we embrace these energies, we let go of any dependence on the analytical mind. And then on Friday when we come back, it is the Red Rhythmic Skywalker and that's the sixth band, so it's another powerful tone, the sixth, and it doubles the, it is also the tone guide of the day, so it's about getting those rhythms together, of two threes together. And Ben is the Skywalker, the warrior aspect. It's about focusing and striving towards self-illumination. It's about clarity. So we have those gifts of strength and that ability to med- bend to mention. So let's let go of any resistance to faith, any belief in aloneness. As we embrace these energies, and it's also Friday the 13th, which is Mother's Day, so we'll be celebrating that on on next Friday as well. So there's lots to celebrate this week as we go through each day. We've got Indigenous People's Day on Monday and we've got 10 10 on Tuesday and we have Friday the 13th on Friday, Mother's Day, and we get to speak with Mother on Fridays. And so I had to go ahead and look at the new moon on Saturday to... um, just talk about because we always look at the new moon. It's at one fifty-five, one no, two fifty-five p.m. Eastern time. And it's a seven each, the white resonant magician. So it's a magical day for a new moon. Let's let's prepare for that and set our intentions for this moon cycle. And it's also the beginning of the eclipse season, so there will be a, an eclipse on that day. So. So lots to look forward to with that new moon as well. We'll talk about that some more when we get back next week on Friday the 13th. (laughs) And thank you for celebrating Kimi Kimi Day with me with those Kimi drums. Lots of gratitude for that Kimi drum in our lives. So with that, I'm going to change my hat and talk about the housekeeping as we're a listener support radio program that's due to us that make it happen. And there's all kinds of ways that we contribute in our lives. And um, Money's always a good way. It's tidy, it's neat, it gets handed over. <laughs> so go into your heart space and see what is yours to give. We need money to pay for our services with CBS Radio. And we have 
$450 that we owe for September and we're in the we're we're in the week of October in October now. So we'd like to tidy up September and and get that paid off and that's our priority for the week. What the priority of what we're asking for this week so that we can uh, be in right relations with that responsibility. So go into your heart space, see what it's yours to give. Anybody who can give $5 or $10, that helps. That works. And if you can give more, this is a good time to give more. So we appreciate your efforts and taking the action and taking that responsibility for being here and what we do here and honoring BBS for what they do and support, keep them in support if they need to pay bills too. So lots of gratitude for BBS and all the work they do and so much gratitude for all of you for what you do. So go into your heart space, go to bbsradio.com and click on the schedule for Radio Station 1 and you'll find... This program, The Hard News on Friday nights, listed at the 8 o'clock hour, as these are central times. So it's one hour. Difference from Eastern, and there you go. That's where you'll find it, 8 o'clock hour. And you'll see also on on the schedule on Thursday nights, the night at the roundtable with the panel. You can click on that icon there, or you can click on the one for the Hard News call. It doesn't matter which one. And that'll take you directly to our account with CBS Radio. Well, you could make that donation using any bank card. So thank you. Thank you for taking that action. We have a program on Saturday. And it's a journey <laughs> on Saturdays. You'll find it listed on Radio Station 2 on Saturdays at 3.30 hour. It's the true history, history of the Sarah and Galactic Origins. So <clears throat> with Tara and Rama. So that's that's how you see that listed, and um, if you click on that icon, that'll take you to our account where you can make that donation. So lots of gratitude for all the ways that you show up in your life and for showing up in this way. We're especially grateful as we get together each week like this. So, so much gratitude that we even have at a radio station like like BBS that where we can express ourselves as a good way. So, uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. We're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And um, this week, they're, they want the focus to be on the radio to get that paid up, but they do have expenses. They have an emergency expense, actually, that needs to be paid tonight or maybe tomorrow morning, but early, but that um, what they need is $56.85 for a new printer cartridge. They do a lot of printing, and they they needed those hard copies, and that's how we get them. And we're grateful for all the work that they do to maintain that and make it happen, and we're grateful for your efforts to make sure that they are able to do that work and, and be able to print. <clears throat> these documents that they're printing of, of what we put on these shows. And so thank you. Thank you for taking that action and making sure that happens tonight. Somebody. Somebody. <laughs> so 
So they also have bills, and there's more time on the bills than on the printers, but they do add up to $420. So uh, they are coming and need to be paid, and we're grateful for the contribution towards those bills. And then also their living expenses, which is important as well. $200 a week is what they require, and we're grateful to meet that. And do that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the action. Here's how we do it. We go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on that home page, you'll find the menu. You'll see the bar across the top will give the, show you uh, the donate on the, on the far right uh, link. And if you click on the menu as you're on a different device and just do it that way, it'll be near the bottom of that list on the menu. And um, yeah, and also while you're on that menu, if you're new to this program and new to that website, you might want to check out the Nasera link that's there. It's a 33-page document that tells you the history of Nasera and, uh, and, and and how it, how it started and how it's coming. In. <laughs> And all the details and that we know to to offer in that spot. So check that out for your own edification. And uh, then check out that donate link, and, and that link you to Rama's PayPal account. And Rama's PayPal account is um, is not Rama's PayPal account. It's the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. But if you want a gift there, that you can also access the friends and family there. So you could use your bank card to make that donation. And if you want to access friends and family, you need this mailing address for the for that site. And it is as follows. Koran K O R A N nine 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 at hotmail.com. And then as you're sending something, and either way is perfect, it doesn't matter which way you do it, we're grateful that you just, <clears throat> we're just grateful you're, you're contributing. But uh, as you're contributing something, please send Rama an email and let him know that you sent something. And that is email address for Rama is Koran999 at Comcast.net. Um, so... You have it, all the information. Um, here's the mailing address as you need it. It is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 2803. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. 87567 is the zip code. And I got a good picture of it this week on Monday when, for sad reasons, but <laughs> reasons, I, there's a Democracy Now! story about the statue that was being protested in um, in Española, which is where they live, and it was beautiful. It was really a beautiful place. And I think I sat there looking at the view as much as listening to the story. So... <laughs> um, Anyway, they live in a beautiful place, and we're grateful that they to be surrounded in nature like that. And we're grateful that to assist them in their work 
and lives by these donations. So 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. And I'm going to pass this topic. And it's the linker of worlds. So there's all kinds of, uh, all the all the energy rays and, and gemstones are there, the, the healing stones and the, and the record keepers are there. And um, all kinds of angels and Excalibur sort of truth is there and um, there's plenty of um, feathers and fairies and all kinds of little people with the manahunis and the dwarves and the gnomes and the elves and there's also unicorns and dragons so there's it's a magical one and it's headed your way so greetings Tara and Rama Because that talking stick. Greetings. Greetings. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, everyone. Yes. And um, I just wanted to say I know we can do this. The thing to keep in mind is that the enactment of Nasara law publicly changes the whole world. I know it says National Economic Security and Reformation Act, yet as the United States goes on to the Nassara Law, excuse me, new system, excuse me, it is like a domino effect. I mean, um, since it's the seat of the empire, let's start it that way. <laughs> and as that happens, all the behaviors from the past oligarchical ideas of who we might be to them for profit, that goes away too. And there will be not sure exactly when around it, but I know that the Provost Marshal General, the King of Swords, will get the orders from St. Germain to do martial law. So then the King of Swords will order the Provost Marshal General to order martial law. And that's a big deal. And... Uh, I believe that will be right before the Nassara Law is enacted. In other words, the old system has to be quiet and the new stage is set once the martial law is set in place. And that reminds me, you know, we just had this uh, illegal national emergency broadcast system. I'm sure every one of you must have heard it somewhere or from a friend of yours. And um, you still don't know, know what the uh, emergency was, do you? No. <laughs> so they said they were just testing it. My take is they're testing it to do just the opposite and have something happen. The thing is they committed high treason when they did that because 
the law says that that can only be used in a regional area where there's a weather announcement that needs to be made. I just say that uh, Saint Germain and uh, his friends are taking notes. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, Ramo, do you want to share something with the people about in general what's your? Just uh, I sat with six deer and two crows today, <laughs> and the crows were quite talkative. And they were talking about the sun and sending me the, you know, geometric symbols for the sun. Saying that, you know, the sun is going through its gyrations and there were M-class flares in the last couple days and big limbs of plasma went off the sun and there's word that the sun is reversing its poles and mm -hmm. it's magnetic you know and um, it is about the incoming energies from super galactic center that affects all the suns leading to our sun this is how this is transforming right now, transmuting. It's lifting everything so much higher. And everyone's feeling it. All the particles, all the electrons, protons. It's uh, just amazing and at the same time intense, very intense with what's unfolding because the dark side, it, you know, continues to go down faster and faster. More stories are leaking out. I saw something out there today that Putin supposedly, I don't know if it's, you know, the deep state Putin. It's or, only that because he's, he's gone. Yeah, yeah. Something about uh, releasing photos of, all the gold that was taken from the Twin Towers at the time of 9-11, and who knows whether the pictures will come out or not. Yet, it's ever since 9-11, they've been playing with this, you know, end time story. And it's come to that moment where I don't know when... The flash is going to happen, yet it is all connected with the transforming, transmuting, transcending of us and the planet. It's very big. Uh, Got to just keep blazing the violet fire, sending more love. Okay. So Rama wants to play this Aurora Ray peace and it's called Pleiadians transforming our lives now this is about six minutes and how many minutes six minutes 27 seconds here we go 
Radiance transforming our lives now. Imagine a group of highly advanced beings who have a remarkable connection to the stars. These beings are called Pleiadians, and they emit a special energy that goes beyond what humans can understand. Their presence is captivating and enchanting to anyone who encounters them, like a mesmerizing melody that effortlessly transports one's soul to ethereal realms. It is as if they carry an intangible aura that holds a magnetic pull, drawing others closer with an irresistible curiosity. Their very essence seems to transcend the boundaries of our earthly existence, evoking a sense of awe and fascination as if they embody the beauty and mystery of a distant, enchanting planet. Meeting a Pleiadian is like witnessing the harmony of the cosmos itself, and it changes how you see the limitless possibilities that exist in the vastness of space. Pleiadians possess an innate ability to manipulate and harness the energy of celestial bodies, including stars. Through their advanced understanding of cosmic energies, Pleiadians can create and shape small star-like orbs of concentrated energy known as stellar spheres. These luminous orbs emanate radiant light, brimming with wisdom and the potential for profound healing. When Pleiadians interact with these stellar spheres, they can infuse them with specific intentions and frequencies, imbuing them with transformative properties. These orbs emit radiant beams of light that have the ability to elevate consciousness, activate dormant potential, and facilitate deep healing on a physical, emotional, and spiritual level. Furthermore, Pleiadians have the unique talent of resonating with and harmonizing with these stellar spheres. By attuning their own vibrations to the energy of the orbs, they can create beautiful symphonies of light and sound, generating harmonic frequencies that reverberate throughout the cosmos. These celestial melodies serve as catalysts for spiritual awakening, bringing about profound shifts in consciousness and collective harmony. It is believed that Pleiadian elders, who have mastered the art of working with stellar spheres, gather in special sacred chambers within their home constellation. These chambers are adorned with intricate crystal formations that amplify the energy of the orbs creating an ethereal sanctuary of wisdom and enlightenment. Within their home constellation, the Pleiadian elders, revered masters of the stellar spheres, convene in sacred chambers of profound significance. These hallowed spaces, adorned with intricate crystal formations, serve as conduits for amplifying the energies of the orbs, transforming the chambers into ethereal sanctuaries of wisdom and enlightenment. As the elders enter these chambers, a palpable shift occurs, as if the very fabric of the cosmos responds to their presence. The crystals shimmer and hum, resonating with the harmonic frequencies of the stellar spheres. In this sacred communion, a symphony of light and sound envelops the elders, igniting a profound connection to the cosmic energies that permeate the universe. It is within these crystalline sanctums that the elders commune with the celestial forces, receiving profound insights and cosmic guidance and unlocking the deepest realms of consciousness. They become vessels of profound wisdom, carrying the luminous teachings of the stellar spheres back to their Pleiadian brethren and beyond. 
The knowledge and enlightenment garnered within these sacred chambers have had a profound impact on the Pleiadian race. Through the wisdom and teachings of the elders, Pleiadian individuals embark on their personal journeys of spiritual growth and self-discovery. Beyond their own race, Pleiadians feel a deep connection to humanity and the Earth. They understand the challenges and potential of the human experience, and their mission extends to assisting humanity in its collective evolution. Through their empathetic hearts and celestial guidance, they strive to awaken dormant potentials within individuals and ignite a spark of transformation across the planet. The Pleiadians stand as beacons of light, bridging the gap between worlds and offering their love, wisdom, and support to all who seek the path of enlightenment. Guided by compassion and a desire for planetary harmony, Pleiadians share their wisdom, offering insights and energetic support to those receptive to their presence. Through telepathic communication and subtle energetic interactions, Pleiadians plant seeds of awakening, gently nudging humanity towards greater self-awareness, love, and unity. As we immerse ourselves in the realm of Pleiadian wisdom, we open ourselves to the limitless possibilities of cosmic consciousness. The stellar spheres and their ethereal guardians inspire us to explore our own connection to the celestial energies that dance through the universe. Together, we embark on a journey of self-discovery, embracing the potential for profound transformation and expanding our awareness to embrace the extraordinary dimensions of existence. The Pleiadians beckon us to join them on this cosmic odyssey as we awaken to the wondrous realms of enlightenment, guided by the radiant light of the stellar spheres. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Okay, the numbers real quick now. Uh 720-716-7301. And the pin code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, we're going to quick like a bunny. We'll see you there. And namaste for now. We'll see you at the top of the next hour here at BBS Radio. Aloha.
for each of us personally and for humanity's ascension in the light. This process requires recalibrating our DNA structures into the fifth dimensional crystalline frequencies of our Father Mother God's 12 solar aspects of deity. Scientists used to believe that our DNA was stationary and stagnant. We now know that our DNA is a shimmering waveform configuration that is moment by moment being modified by light, solar radiation, magnetic fields, sonic impulses, thought forms, and emotions. When humanity's I am presences join together to collectively imprint the genetic codes for the 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar aspects of deity onto our DNA, these patterns ignite every cell in our bodies and lift us into alignment with our fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies. This crystalline perfection is then secured in the nucleus of every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of life on Earth. Once this is accomplished, our transfiguration will take place in what will be perceived as the twinkling of an eye. The rosary for an ascending humanity is a gift from Mother Mary that is designed to help each and every one of us with our ascension process. The divine intent of this wondrous gift is to seal our bodies permanently in the immaculate concept of eternal youth, vibrant health, and infinite physical perfection. This invocation is stated in the first person so that we will each experience this gift of light personally. Know, however, that we are simultaneously invoking from the very heart of our Father Mother God, the 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar aspects of deity on behalf of every person on earth. This is possible because we are one and there is no separation. And we begin. This is Mother Mary's Rosary for an Ascending Humanity. I am my I am presence and I am one with the I am presence of every person on earth. As one voice, one breath, one heartbeat, and one energy vibration and consciousness of pure divine love, I now invoke the 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar aspects of deity one by one. 
The first solar aspect of deity is sapphire blue. This exquisite frequency of light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The sapphire blue light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of sapphire blue light. The divine qualities of God's first solar aspect of deity are divine will, illumined faith, power, protection, and God's first cause of perfection. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail, Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality from this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The second solar aspect of deity is yellow gold. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The yellow gold light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of yellow gold light. The divine qualities of God's second solar aspect of deity our unity consciousness, enlightenment, wisdom, illumination, understanding, perception, and constancy. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail, Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality 
from this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The third solar aspect of deity is crystalline pink. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The crystalline pink light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of pink light. The divine qualities of the third solar aspect of deity are comprehensive divine love, adoration, tolerance, oneness, and reverence for all life. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail, Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality from this moment and to my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The fourth solar aspect of deity is white. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The white light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of white light. The divine qualities of the fourth solar aspect of deity are the immaculate concept, purity, hope, restoration, renewal, resurrection, and ascension. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail, Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, 
and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality. From this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. solar aspect of deity is emerald green. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The emerald green light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of emerald green light. The divine qualities of the fifth solar aspect of deity are illumined truth, healing, consecration, concentration, and inner vision. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras. As I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality, from this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The sixth solar aspect of deity is ruby gold. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The ruby gold light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of ruby gold light. The divine qualities of the sixth solar aspect of deity are divine grace, healing, devotional worship, peace, and the manifestation of the Christ within every heart flame. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. 
grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality. From this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The seventh solar aspect of deity is violet. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The violet light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of violet light. The divine qualities of the seventh solar aspect of deity are mercy, compassion, cosmic forgiveness, transmutation, transfiguration, liberty, justice, freedom, victory, glory, oneness, and God's infinite perfection. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality from this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. aspect of deity is aquamarine. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The aquamarine light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through my twelve fifth-dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of aquamarine light. The divine qualities of the eighth solar aspect of deity are clarity, divine perception, 
comprehension, understanding, and discernment. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality from this moment and to my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The ninth solar aspect of deity is magenta. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The magenta light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of magenta light. The divine qualities of the ninth solar aspect of deity are harmony, balance, assurance, and God confidence. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality from this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The 10th solar aspect of deity is gold. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. This gold light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns of golden light. 
the divine qualities of the 10th solar aspect of deity, our eternal peace, prosperity, abundance, and the God supply of all good things. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail, Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality from this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The eleventh solar aspect of deity is peach. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The peach light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras transfiguring them into radiant suns of peach light. The divine qualities of the 11th solar aspect of deity are divine purpose, enthusiasm, and joy. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail, Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality from this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. The twelfth solar aspect of deity is opal. This divine light is now descending from the very heart of God and entering my fifth dimensional crown chakra. The opal light flows down my spinal column and radiates out through each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras, transfiguring them into radiant suns 
of opal light. The divine qualities of the 12th solar aspect of deity are transformation and transfiguration. My I am presence permanently secures these divine qualities within my 12 solar chakras as I affirm the words of beloved Mother Mary's rosary for an ascending humanity. Hail, Mother full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, I am. Hold for me now the immaculate concept of my true God reality from this moment unto my eternal ascension in the light. I am that I am. Each of my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras is now pulsating with the infinite light and divine qualities associated with my Father Mother God's 12 fifth dimensional solar aspects of deity. From this moment forth, with every holy breath I take, my I am presence is perpetually bathing my earthly bodies and all life evolving on this planet in the scintillating, multifaceted, multidimensional, crystalline solar light from the very heart of my Father, Mother, God. Now, with the assistance of beloved Mother Mary and my I Am Presence, the fifth dimensional crystalline solar aspects of deity raise my earthly bodies the maximum that cosmic law will allow into the immaculate concept of my fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies and i decree i am the immaculate concept of my true God reality, now made manifest and sustained by divine grace. I am the immaculate concept of my true God reality, now made manifest and sustained by divine grace. I am the immaculate concept of my true God reality, now made manifest and sustained by divine grace. It is done. 
And so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Close your eyes and breathe. Focusing your breath, and the breath is the bridge between the body and your spirit, your higher self and unconscious mind, the breath. With your breath, imagine you could breathe in light from the universe around you. Light from the sun, the stars, into every cell of the body. And anywhere you're holding lower frequency energies from the 3D matrix, the mutant matrix on the outbreath, release that energy back to the light. Release other people's energy, especially emotional or mental energy, release. Emotional energies, there's a lot of angst and fear and anxiety and anger in the 3D matrix. Release anywhere you've absorbed it, because star seeds are naturally absorbent. Releasing back to the light and allow more of your own authentic light into every cell of the body. And imagine breathing in light from the universe around you, from the stars, the sun and the earth below into the bones of the body, the skeletal system, all joints or vertebrae from the skull, the jaw, the neck, the spine, light, releasing back to the universe anything not light, anything stagnant or toxic or stuck. Allowing that light, so all the way down the spine and then expanding out to the rib cage, collarbone, shoulder blades, light into the body. Anywhere the joints or vertebrae are holding stuck energies, give permission for your body to release, purge. Release it out, allowing more light into your field, allowing more flexibility, more fluidity into your field. 
expanding the light out into the arms and hands, all joints of the wrists, the elbows and shoulder joints. Releasing anything that's not yours back to the light. And also in the pelvic area that can often hold a lot of old energies, ancestral energies. Release and purge from your body, all energies out from your field. Allow more light to return to you and then legs and feet, all joints of the ankles, knees and hip joints, releasing anything you've picked up, absorbed from the matrix of a lower frequency nature back to the light. And allowing more light into the whole field. Expanding the light into the whole field. And imagine you could breathe light from the universe around you, 360 degrees into the blood and blood producing parts of the body. Anywhere you're holding ancestral programming, bloodline programming, bloodline stories in the blood, release on the outbreath back to the light. Anything limiting you or blocking you or inhibiting you from the bloodlines, release any interference from the bloodlines back to the light. Allowing more of your own natural energy to return to you. And breathing light into all systems of the body, all organs of the body. Raising the light frequency of your field. And releasing anything that's not yours back to the light. And I call to your team and spirit of the highest light and resonance, your higher self, monadic self, your I am presence, or helpers, guides, angels, archangels, star councils, galactic council, Elohim. Come be with you now. Come be with you now. And allow the inner channel to open between heaven and earth, crown and base, open. Allow all chakras within the body to begin to expand as spheres of light. As you allow more light into the body, crown chakra opens as a great sphere of light opens. Allowing light from the central sun into the crown. All layers, levels, dimensions. Base chakra opens at the same time. A great sphere of light for the base and the crown are connected. Allow light from the earth, from Gaia, to expand into the base, all layers, levels, dimensions. So crown and base, which have a natural affinity, opening together. 
breathe and open, third eye opens in the center of the head, opens allowing more light into all layers, levels, dimensions from the central sun. And at the same time, sacral opens in the belly area, a great sphere of light, absorbing light from Gaia, the grid of the earth. And the third eye and sacral have a natural affinity and naturally connected. So the crown and base, the third eye and sacral opening. And throat opens. Solar plexus opens. Throat and solar plexus opens. They have a natural affinity. Throat, a sphere of light, absorbing light from the central sun. And the solar plexus absorbing light from Gaia, the crystalline grid of the earth. And these two have a natural affinity, allow them to awaken together. And then the heart opens in the center of the being, the heart opens. Heart opens. And allow all these chakras to be upgraded. Some of them may want to receive some new light codes. And light codes can come through in many forms. It can come through as geometric patterning, color, sound, light, light language. Just allowing light from the earth grid and light from the central sun to begin to speak to your chakra system.
below the feet, the earth star chakra, some 18 inches below the feet, opens in the earth, opens. Connecting you to the planet, opens. A great sphere of light in the earth opens. Allow light into that sphere from Gaia, from the crystalline grid. Dissolve all courts to the old grid of the earth, the old karmic grid of the earth, and allow light in and aligning with the crystalline grid of the earth. Release any toxic energies from the bloodlines that you're still picking up in the earth star chakra. Any toxic programming, toxic stories, toxic belief systems, toxic energies. Give permission to release. You don't need them anymore. Purge them and allow more light into the Earth star so it becomes a pulsing star on the Earth, a pulsing star of perhaps a kind of coppery golden light in the Earth pulsing. Releasing all interference from the bloodlines, mother, father line. Dissolving any interference from the 3D matrix through the bloodlines. Releasing all abuse from the bloodlines or fear from the bloodlines or violence or anger or entrapment or guilt. Release all these old stories. You don't have to carry, I should say, those energies. They serve no more purpose for you. You need to bring in new energies and transform the old and release them. Allow the earth star to become a pulsing, coppery golden sun in the, in the earth below your feet. Increasing your connection to the light of the earth. And as this happens, above your head, some 18 inches, the soul star opens. The soul star opens. A great sphere of light opens. You could see this as perhaps the primary color would be a kind of magenta. There may be golds and whites there, but there's a magenta color. The soul star above the head, some 18 inches above the head, opens. This is your connection to the Akashic Records. Any programming coming up from other lifetimes in the soul that needs to be released, that can be purged, release back to the light. Release back to the light. 
clearing through all layers, levels, dimensions of the Akashic. Clearing through all layers, levels, dimensions of the Akashic. Clearing all energies from the Akashic that can be cleared back to source light. Enabling an update and reorganization of your Akashic to reflect a new level of light, a new level of potential. So there are energies that need to be purged and released. Allowing more light in from the central sun into that star. So it begins to pulse a kind of golden magenta, pulsing sun above the head. And Let's ask the soul star chakra to begin to download positive energies, positive patterning down to the crown chakra that you want to awaken from other lifetimes. Positive patterning. a download from soul star to crown and from crown down to every other chakra. Other lifetimes where you have awakened other potential, other talents, other abilities, other skills. Skills necessary for you in this lifetime. Open for a download of light into your field from soul star to crown and then rippling down all the way down from crown to base. 
then down to third eye, from third eye to sacral, then down to throat, from throat to solar plexus, and then into the heart, the heart of your being. Allow that light into every cell of your body. So it becomes more tangible for you, more more available to you in this lifetime. Just allow that breathe, sip of that for a moment. Allow your whole energy field to become more enlivened with light. more enlivened with light. Breathe open, soften, relax. Just allow the process. allowing all chakras to absorb as much light as they want to. From the soul star, feeling your connection more deeply to Gaia, the grid of the earth through the earth star below the feet. And breathing with your breath, allowing more light in on the out breath, 
releasing anything you want to release. Allow the purging to continue. Allowing more light to come in on the in-breath. Following the cycle of breath. You may feel an intensification in your energy field as you allow this process. Just breathe and ground. The more you ground, the more the process continues. Just take your time following the cycle of breath. And then when you're ready, feel your connection to your body, coming back to your body of bone and blood. And breathing. And as always, the meditation is offered to you with love and blessings, love and blessings.
prayer off servants of peace everywhere. That was magnificent. I went really deep. Thank you, Steve Nobel, for your good work. Greetings, Mother. In the light of the most radiant one, in the office of the Christ, and only in the office of the Christ, we invoke the loving energies of Saint Germain. And we ask at this time for the chaos to transmit and transmute into divine chaos. <laughs> and for all those seeking to twist and turn for the sake of power and money to be hit with some fairy dust and wonder what happened to them and begin to wonder what's this world really about. Pass the talking stick to you, Mother. Greetings, children of Ra. What this world is about is becoming more light as you have been hearing. As you absorb more light, it reflects back out into all sectors of the seven super universes. Everything we've been hearing is about this magic we could call it. About the life that never fails. Ten trillion suns and then some pouring in 
at this time. This is the saving grace, we could call it. And, hmm, all it is is just love, light, peace, joy, oneness, ecstasy. That's what's unfolding in the same moment. All the Maya coming to conclusion it has. The light has won. Yeah. Accountability seems to be in the center stage. Mm -hmm. It's about... It seems to kind of dance around it, though, Mother. Can, cannot dance around what's happening <laughs> as balance comes into play. Lady Master Ma and them scales hmm. is what's happening. Is light as a feather or isn't it? Hmm. Hmm. It's this cosmic interweaving of the energies. It's a spiral dance of living life, living love. Right in these few moments, we got left of the old Kali cycle. Bless each moment as we could say. The emperors have no clothes. <laughs> oh dear, what a oh, what a sight that is, mother. <laughs> Just calling it as we see it. Oh my god. Can't hide the light that's pouring in. No matter how dark the robe you put on, the light keeps shining through. And true, what has occurred, they can no longer hide in the shadows. I was said to this one a few days ago, the noonday sun is pouring in these Characters are like the undead. They don't like the light 
coming in. All the cracks and crevices, creases of the old concepts that have held the cobwebs in place are being dispelled at this moment. They do not like it one bit. And how it affects us is these energies that are pouring in gotta embrace the light coming in it's transforming the bodies some of it is a bit uncomfortable to the point of the ascension symptoms that can be Let's say it lays you out in lavender in more ways than one. <clears throat> it is a good thing. As we absorb more light, we get more energy. The body becomes immortal. It is just what is happening as we move through these moments of all we can describe it is wonder of the awesomeness of this local universe we know less about the universe we know even less about these temples that are living love, living light. Why would you want to transfer your consciousness into an AI body in the metaverse owned by Mark Zuckerberg? Mm. He's a Rockefeller. Rockefeller, right. Like Steve just talked about all the bloodlines, all the ley lines, see them clear mm. and pristine with the living. Radiance that's pouring forth. It's awesome to behold. And <laughs> these old concepts of It's the words escape the tongue. Huh. 
it's on my uh, as the clouds in the Maya fade away. Gotta deal with the reality of what is as you hmm, have messed with the universe it might mess with you. And we speak of our wayward children since that seems to be what's happening as we absorb more light and get lifted higher. They get exposed more in the limelight with their old ideas of separation and racism. This idea that one color is better than another color. They're all equal in their radiance and beauty. Diversity is the order of the day. That concept is very dangerous to the old dark energies because they cannot coexist as the light pours in and things get better. It's simple. You cannot try to pull fraud up in a local universe and get away with it. It has been going on to some degree, yet now it's all unraveling. The divine chaos you speak of is what's coming back into alignment as these stories of the returning ascended masters and space commanders, your legends of heroes and Magnificent beings that radiate that love pouring forth in this realm. Right now, it is a challenge to be here. I would commend you for sticking around the last minute nanosecond it's this is the time where we get to do what we have been learning all these eons of time 
to simply work with the love, the radiance of all that is. These wayward children of ours they got to fade away into the shadows that disappear in the noonday sun. Since we're in that season of so-called black cats and pumpkins, this is one black cat saying the time is to radiate more light. It is inevitable that the light always pours in. It's a good thing. Right now, this moment, take what has been shared. Raise yourself up. It's how we get through this. We better be on our way. Miles to go. Light years to go before we sleep. There is a lot on the plate. I was going to ask you a question, Mother. Um, there is this notion that I think I said a couple times before I'm still thinking about it but um, somebody said all the ascended masters and hosts of heaven and all of them they really don't know the outcome of this experiment at all the outcome of the experiment is the oneness that's unfolding. It's about the adventure. Yes, there is this concept in thought form, energy. What is the outcome of this? Do we really know? Do you? Of what we can say that we know could take up more time than we have time to speak about. <laughs> so you're not going to give us a hint about, you're just going to say stay in the adventure. It is <laughs> something wonderful. Because it is about ourselves realizing our divinity that we are no different than any other sun, star, planet out there. Equality is the order of the day. And this notion 
from separation, duality. When we came in to a polar universe, the so-called physical laws of magnetics, principles of light versus dark duality, positive, negative, two poles on a battery. Ah. It is, you could say, the force in of itself gave us the concept of this interplay between positive, negative, light, dark. It is these We would only use the word ideas about mm, seemingly uh, separation, yet there's no separation. It is a well-functioning reality that has its perfection, so to speak. <laughs> mm, are we making nonsense or making sense? Mm. Well, the ultimate, I think, that you told us is that we're as equal to the sun and the stars and the moon. One sun, one moon, one earth. One race. One race. <laughs> yes. And people of Earth. And it is an enjoying the adventure and expecting the unexpected. That is. Although it. the thing is that it won't be so dark. No. And that's the importance of Nasara law. This story about raising it up. As the song says, it, it is this inevitability that everything rises to the occasion of the light pouring in. Part of the concepts of quantum physics. Mm -hmm. As we become more unified with the quantum field, everything that there is to understand, overstand, understand is within us. And enough said, we're stumbling over the Mother, I just wanted to say we found this going through papers 
This is from the second last day of December last year, the 30th. And the picture, I think you put it in there. Um, Rama put it in there. But yes. Yoda's sitting in council with, I don't know if you know these other three. Oh, uh, yes, members of the Jedi Council. Yeah, and it says as a subject, it says, once the first contact is made, the human race will have a whole galaxy to explore and can finally spread out across the universe. Yes, it is that adventure that is unfolding Mm -hmm. right now. And our wayward children are a bit hesitant to allow that to occur because they lose their power. Exactly. And it's really like kind of phenomenal, you know. Penny was saying I'm like a little kid still. I have that and I'm just on an adventure and I'm having a really good time. Yes, it is quite an adventure. Okay, Mother Willis, say goodnight to you, and then when you come back, remember to start Democracy Now! on that computer. Yes. Okay. Greetings in In the light of the most radiant one. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabayot. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabayot. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabayot, Iliahu, 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 Yod, Hey, Vod, Hey, Yava, Adonai, Basu, Baragas. Namaste, Mother. We just had to take a bit of a moment here to let Rama come back in the due time here. Mountain. Is that hum still going strong? That hum is still moving right along and perfect parameters. People are used to it up there right now, right? I would assume. <laughs> I just know that, you know, you can hear it when you tune in. And we remember that time we were living with a friend there and we were really close to the mountain. We could hear it. Yeah. Really well. Vertical Fred. Vertical Fred, that's right. That would <laughs> Oh God. He was a hoot. Please survive it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was really fun staying with him. Okay, so Ram, Rama, I think. So when you 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 said you 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 went to Taos Mountain. Yeah, I went to Taos Mountain, and I was just sitting up near Blue Lake and feeling mm-hmm. the cold and just. The energy is coming. Yeah, up there it's cold. It is in the 20s, 30s at this point right now up there. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the 30s, I'm not sure, but it's cold. And uh, it's just the radiance of the light pouring in. And I could just see that coming into the mountain like waves of I could say magnetic energy. I'm not sure how to put that into words, but I could just see these pulses of light pouring into the mountain from um, what was coming down from the sky. I remember you slid down some kind of opening there. Oh, I went, there's there's a cave or some kind of, yeah, some kind of, cave that's on uh, the other side of Blue Lake that you could literally walk into and then it goes and gets smaller and it's literally like this tube that you can slide down and you go into the Astar Command Basin. But you landed on your butt pretty hard. Yeah. Uh And then there was a... um what kind of transport did you have? Oh, I, um, there was um, a lady, um, very tall, elegant, I think she was Pleiadian or Syrian at the time, uh, met me when I hit the ground and said, you kind of took a back road in. <laughs> and now that you're here, it's, Time to go talk to the captain, and we got on some kind of land speeder. That's what it was. Yeah, it was some kind of land speeder, and it just took like a few moments, and and you ended up at Table Mountain. uh, Table Rock. Table Table Rock, which is in Montana, right? Yeah, and it was just like minutes. I was there, and then what did you do there? Met with Astar and other galactic members. And what did you talk about? Um, the unfolding of disclosure. And this was back at that time. That oh, was, that was a long time ago. Yeah. I can't even remember. Yeah. Was at least in the 90s, right? 80s, 90s. Oh. Yeah. Before you met me. Before I met you. And now we're here. Okay, democracy now. Mm, Yeah. The reality of the stories. um, That lady. Oh, my God. That 16-year-old still in a coma, everybody. And those morality police in Iran beat her Beyond yeah, belief. Blaze, Violet Fire. <sighs> and, uh, and she's in prison. What? 
and a brave freedom fighter who's still in prison in Iran. She got won the, the Nobel Peace Prize, that other lady. Yeah. This is a big deal. And so it's becoming very prominent in the world because it's announced all over and they're kind of demanding that Iran release her from prison by Christmas time. Mm, yeah. Uh, or somewhere in December because she's going to be able, then she's going to be able to receive her prize as a special day when she's going to be formally receiving her prize. Mm, that's right. So the whole world's watching and we'll see how ignorant or intelligent the Iranian uh, government will decide to be, but yeah, the pressure's not. The pressure's on now. So place of violent fire. All right, is this democracy now ready? Yeah. Here we go, everybody. is democracy now. Nargis Mohammadi is a woman, a human rights advocate, and a freedom fighter. One of Iran's most prominent human rights activists, Nargis Mohammadi, has won this year's Nobel Peace Prize, but she will not be able to receive the prize in Oslo personally since she's in prison in Tehran. We'll get the response. We'll also get an update on the civil fraud trial of Donald Trump. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you think you may have, no one is above the law. And it is my responsibility and my duty and my job to enforce it. The law is both powerful and fragile. And today in court, we will prove our case. We'll also speak to an attorney suing Columbia University and its affiliated hospitals on behalf of some 300 more patients who say they were sexually assaulted by former Columbia University gynecologist Robert Haddon over a span of decades, while Columbia, they say, shielded the sexual predator. And we'll look at the largest strike of healthcare workers in U.S. history. Yeah, we're out here because we want the world to know that Kaiser's being unfair to us. They're not treating us right. We're working through the pandemic. We're working through hard times. We're understaffed, underpaid. They're not giving us what we need to take care of our patients properly. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. President Biden's defending his decision to waive 26 federal laws in South Texas in order to speed construction of the U.S.-Mexico border wall. Biden's move to advance a central policy of former President Trump's platform has prompted condemnation from immigrant rights, environmental and indigenous activists. At the White House Thursday, a reporter asked Biden why he reversed his campaign pledge that, quote, there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration, he said. One question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what it was appropriated. I can't stop that. Do you believe the border wall works? No. 
Democratic Congress member Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez slammed Biden's decision, writing, quote, a wall does nothing to deter people who are fleeing poverty and violence from coming to the United States. You do not risk your life or your children's lives going through the Darien Gap or traversing hundreds of miles of desert if you have any other options. Walls only serve to push migrants into more remote areas, increasing their chances of death, AOC said. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and Attorney General Merrick Garland were in Mexico City Thursday meeting with Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador, who condemned the border wall. This authorization for the construction of the wall is a step backwards. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem. We have to address the causes. Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas announced the U.S. will resume deportation flights directly to Venezuela, threatening Venezuelan asylum seekers with harsher consequences if they cross the U.S.-Mexico border. For years, the U.S. government did not regularly deport Venezuelans because of tensions between Washington and Caracas. Thousands continue to flee Venezuela due to an economic catastrophe that's been largely worsened by U.S. sanctions. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is on a four-day Latin American tour to discourage would-be asylum seekers from trying to reach New York. Speaking from Mexico City Thursday, Adams warned the American dream could turn into a nightmare. We are at capacity, and many people believe when you enter New York City, you're going to automatically have a job. You automatically are going to be living in a hotel, uh, and there's just a, a, a climate that's there, and it's just not a reality. Mayor Adams will also travel to Ecuador and Colombia and visit the treacherous Darien Gap that many migrants are forced to brave on their journey to the U.S.-Mexico border. Adams' trip comes two days after he asked a judge to suspend New York City's 42-year-old policy of providing shelter to anyone who seeks it. Immigrant rights groups blasted the move with the Legal Aid Society warning, quote, street homelessness would balloon to a level unseen in our city since the Great Depression, unquote. Asylum seekers in New York have already been facing barriers getting basic assistance. I come from Honduras and I came here because they killed a brother and a nephew of mine. So I was afraid and I came here. The truth is, I was waiting 24 hours for them to give me some clothes, but ultimately nothing came of it. Ukraine says 51 people were killed and six others wounded Thursday as a Russian missile struck a store in a cafe in a village in the northeastern Kharkiv region. President Volodymyr Zelensky said the Russian assault was no accident. The Russian military could not have been unaware of where they were hitting, and it was not a blind strike. People gathered there for a week, a Christian memorial dinner. Who could launch a missile at them? Who? Only absolute evil. More than 50 people died. Among them was a child, a boy, six years old. Separately, officials said a Russian strike on residential buildings in Kharkiv killed a 10-year-old boy and his grandmother while injuring 26 others. And Russian drones attacked a port in Ukraine's Odessa region early Friday, damaging a grain silo near the Danube River. Syria's health ministry says 89 people were killed and nearly 300 others wounded Thursday as a drone packed with explosives struck a military college graduation ceremony in the city of Homs. It was one of the deadliest strikes against Syrian forces in more than 12 years of civil war. No one has claimed responsibility for the attack, which Syria's government blamed on unspecified terrorist groups. Elsewhere, Kurdish fighters say recent Turkish airstrikes have killed at least 11 people across 
Kurdish-controlled parts of northeastern Syria with five civilians among the dead. Turkey's intensified cross-border raids since Sunday when a pair of attackers detonated a bomb outside government buildings in Ankara. Turkey blamed the attack on the outlawed Kurdistan Workers' Party and the closely affiliated Kurdish YPG militia, which is allied with the U.S. in its fight against ISIS. On Thursday, the Pentagon said one of its F-16 fighter jets shot down an armed Turkish military drone as it approached U.S. forces in Syria and ignored commands to change course. It was an unprecedented direct military exchange between Turkey and the U.S. to NATO allies. In Iran, activists are demanding justice for 16-year-old Armida Yerevan, who remains in a coma after an unexplained incident Sunday aboard a metro train near Tehran. Officials say Garavand suffered a medical episode causing her to collapse and bump her head on the train door. Her friends and other eyewitnesses say members of the so-called Guardians of Hijab Force entered into an altercation with her for not complying with Iran's strict dress code. This comes one year after the death of Masamini while in custody of Iran's morality police, which set off a nationwide uprising. In related news, this year's Nobel Peace Prize has been awarded to the imprisoned Iranian human rights activist Nargis Mohammadi, deputy head of Defenders of Human Rights Center for her fight against the oppression of women in Iran. We'll have more on the Nobel Prize after headlines. Here in New York, a prisoner at the notorious Rikers Island jail was declared dead after he was found unresponsive in a cell Thursday morning. Manish Kunwar was just 27 years old. He's at least the ninth person to die in the custody of New York City Department of Corrections this year. In other news from New York, Frank James, who opened fire on a crowded subway train in Brooklyn in April of last year, received 10 life sentences Thursday. Each life sentence corresponds to an injured victim. No passengers were killed in the shooting. The judge said as he delivered the sentence, quote, each mass shooting constitutes an act of raw evil, he said in a victory for voting rights. A federal court has selected a new congressional map in Alabama after the U.S. Supreme Court rejected a Republican gerrymandered map that diluted black votes. The voting age population of the new district is nearly 49% black and could send another Democrat to the U.S. Congress. And actor Julia Ormond is suing Harvey Weinstein for sexual assault. She's also suing Disney, Miramax, and her former talent agency, CAA, for negligence. Ormond, whose lawsuit comes as part of the Adult Survivors Act, says Weinstein forced her to perform oral sex on him when she told her talent agents Brian Lord and Kevin Huvain, she said about the rape, they told her reporting it would damage her career and that she would not be believed. The CAA went on to drop her as a client. Ormond accuses Miramax and Disney of enabling and covering for Weinstein. Julia Ormond headlined major films in the 90s, but her career waned in the years after the assault and her complaint to her agents. Weinstein is currently serving a 23-year prison sentence in New York for rape. Earlier this year, he was sentenced to 16 years for separate rape and sexual assault charges in California. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show with a Nobel Peace Prize. The chair of the Norwegian Nobel Committee in Oslo announced this year's winner earlier this morning. Son, Sendegi Azadi. Women, life, freedom. The Norwegian Nobel Committee has decided to award the Nobel Peace Prize for 2023 to Narges Mohammadi for her fight against the oppression of women in Iran and her fight to promote human rights and freedom for all.
Her brave struggle has come with tremendous personal cost. Altogether, the regime has arrested her 13 times, convicted her five times, and sentenced her to a total of 31 years in prison and 154 lashes. Ms. Mohammadi is still in prison as I speak. This year's Peace Prize also recognizes the hundreds of thousands of people who in the preceding year have demonstrated against the theocratic regime's policies of discrimination and oppression targeting women. That was Beratrice Anderson, the head of the Norwegian Nobel Committee in Oslo, announcing that the imprisoned Iranian human rights activist Nargis Mohammadi has been awarded this year's Nobel Peace Prize. The announcement comes just a year after the death of 22-year-old Masamini, who died in Iranian police custody September 16th last year, after she was arrested by Iran's so-called morality police. Her death sparked months of protests in Iran and a severe crackdown by Iranian authorities. To talk more about this year's Nobel Peace Prize laureate, we're joined by Nagar Mortazavi. She's an Iranian-American journalist, host of the Iran podcast, senior fellow at the Center for International Policy. We thank you so much for being with us, Nagar. Can you talk about the significance of this year's Nobel Peace Prize? Thanks for having me, Amy. Yes, sure. So this doesn't come as a surprise. I think after one year of sustained protests by Iranian women and young girls and so many activists and ordinary citizens really putting their lives on the front line, risking their lives, about 500 protesters losing their lives, um, protesting for more freedoms and essentially in, a, in part of a feminist uprising. And Nagas Mohammadi is really one of the most deserved activists when it comes to the fight for um, rights for women, um, freedom for all human rights. She has done a lot of campaigning against the death penalty, execution, and so many other uh, parts of her long-term activism. And also, as it was discussed, at a great personal cost to herself and her family. So I think it's welcome news. This is going to energize, give new, uh, fresh energy to the activists and protest movement inside Iran. So tell us the story of Nargis Mohammadi how she is now in prison, how she got there. Well, she's a longtime activist, human rights activist that has worked with different organizations, as you said, human rights defenders, which also the previous, the only Nobel uh, Peace Laureate from Iran, Shirin Abadi, also worked with. And Nagas has really continued sort of that line of activism. She's been very vocal against the death penalty, as I said. She's launched many campaigns uh, against essentially changing the laws of execution and trying to abolish the death penalty in the Iranian legal system. She's fought for Iranian uh, women's rights, for um, political prisoners, for families, and herself has been a political prisoner, arrested many times, jailed to decades of prison in total, and also separated from her family. She, Her family has been pushed into exile, including her two children, and she's been living 
separate from them, not being able to travel to see them. They live in exile. You're not able to travel to see her in Iran. And it's just a great personal cause. But she's been a longtime activist and has been detained, pressured, and sentenced for her activism many times and currently also is serving a prison sentence. And so she has fought for women's rights. She's also campaigned for the abolition of the death penalty and improvement of prison conditions. When is she expected to be out? And what kind of pressure do you think this puts on the Iranian regime? Well, this will be essentially a two-edged sword. At this, uh, uh, first, it would generate anger from the hardliners in Iran, the Iranian regime, um, that, that essentially more and more attention is given to someone that they have been trying to portray as someone who is threatening national security and uh, has been essentially arrested for these security charges as they bring against uh, these activists. But then at the same time, I think it will generate global solidarity, it would generate sympathy, and it would raise the cost for keeping someone so high profile in prison, continuing to detain them, because uh, the attempt to try to silence people and try to sentence and pressure them uh, in the dark without much attention. And this essentially prize will bring even more attention, I would say more power to Nagas and her activism and other activists uh, currently serving prisons in Iran. And hopefully at the end of the day, it will uh, empower her and help her with this kind of global attention and solidarity that it will bring. This comes 20 years after Shireen Abadi, uh, the women's rights activist in Iran, was also awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Do you feel there's been progress, Nagar? Well, I think if we look at it, essentially looking at the long arc of history in a linear line, there has been. The Iranian society has changed a lot. I mean, just looking at the protests of the past year, women and young girls really risking a lot. It comes at a deadly price for many of these protesters and activists. But I also think what we're seeing, for example, the transformation of the Iranian public space when it comes to the issue of hijab, which is also something that Nagas has been opposing, the mandatory hijab laws. Uh, we've seen tremendous change and transformation in the Iranian public space. I speak to sources, friends, journalists, activists inside Iran, and there are just so many women and girls right now courageously defying the mandatory hijab, this one discriminatory law against women, essentially gaining their bodily autonomy after the death of Masa Amini with the spark of that mass protest. So I think overall, there has been step backwards, steps forward, but in general, the women's uh, rights and the various rights movement have been pushing forward and making progress in pushing the state um, back and demanding more rights. Well, I want to thank you, Nagar Murtazavi, for being with us um, to talk about this year's Nobel Peace Prize going to Nargis Mohammadi, the Iranian human rights activist who is currently in prison. Nagar is an Iranian-American journalist, host of the Iran podcast and senior fellow at the Center for International Policy. Coming up, we speak to the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist David K. Johnston on Donald Trump's civil fraud trial, on why this may mean more to Trump than any others of the trials, as the judge could be leading to the dismembering of Donald Trump's financial empire. Stay with us.
Musician Marjan Farsad. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we turn now to Donald Trump's civil fraud trial here in New York, Trump's attorneys are expected to file a motion today to stay the trial pending an appeal of a judge's ruling last week that Trump and his two eldest sons, Eric and Donald Jr., had committed fraud by vastly overstating the assets of their company. The pretrial ruling puts the future of the Trump organization's real estate empire in jeopardy. Trump voluntarily attended the first three days of the trial. During comments to the press, he repeatedly attacked New York's Attorney General Letitia James for bringing the fraud case against him. On Monday, Trump assailed James, who is African-American, as a racist and called the trial judge, Arthur Engeron, a disgrace. On Wednesday, James denounced Trump's comments. What they were were comments that unfortunately fomented violence, comments that I would describe as race baiting, and comments unfortunately that appeals to the bottom of our humanity. I will not be bullied. And so Mr. Trump is no longer here. The Donald Trump show is over. This was nothing more than a political stunt, a fundraising stop. On Tuesday, Judge Engeron placed a gag order on Donald Trump, the first on a former president. After he falsely claimed on social media that the judge's law clerk was the girlfriend of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the judge barred Trump from posting, sending emails, or making public remarks about members of the judge's staff. To talk more about the opening week of the trial, we're joined by David K. Johnston, Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter who's reported on Trump for decades. He's the author of three books on Trump, including The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Policed America and Enriched Himself and His Family. Johnston is also a distinguished visiting lecturer at Syracuse University College of Law. David, it's great to have you back with us. If you can start off by talking about the significance of this trial for Donald Trump. I mean, this is a civil trial. He didn't have to show up, though he falsely alleged he was being forced off the campaign trail to show up for this trial. Well, unlike the four separate criminal indictments where Donald is at risk of incarceration, going to jail. This is a civil trial. But Donald Trump is his money. That's the most important thing to understand about Donald. And of course, his money is always being inflated along with other things. You know, he claims buildings are bigger than they are. He claims more money. And in this case, the judge has already ruled that Donald committed repeated calculated frauds. The issue in this trial, the principal issue in this trial, there's some minor facts, is how much must he disgorge because his frauds resulted in ill-got gains that he must give up. So talk about why this is so important to me. Another civil trial, um, right, the uh, sexual assault trial of E. Jean Carroll, he did not show up for. Well, that's right. And and E. Jean Carroll similarly got a judge to rule there was such overwhelming evidence. There was no need to try the merits of the case. Donald Trump is a rapist. That's been established by another judge. 
He already owes $5 million to the writer E. Jean Carroll. And now there's a second defamation case that she's brought. And there will be a trial only to determine, again, how much money he owes. In this trial, uh, before Judge Engoron, Donald has had all of his business licenses revoked. The Trump Organization, his eyes wide open, blind trust he created when he became president. And the at least 500 Trump uh, legal entities, mostly limited liability companies, no longer have business licenses, and you cannot do business without a business license. The judge has appointed a, another judge, a retired judge, as a monitor to make sure that uh, Trump and his sons and the two executives who are in the case don't abscond with any of the money uh, until it's determined how much is there. Um, ultimately, we will see the Trump organization, his umbrella group, uh, turned over to a receiver. This is similar to bankruptcy when you dissolve a company, but it's under New York State business law. It's not a bankruptcy case. His properties will be sold. Uh, creditors and the government will get paid first. And if there's any money left at the end of the day, Amy, it will go to Donald Trump. So you're talking about properties. That's Donald Trump's residence in the Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. That's one of the buildings. Is that right, David K. Johnston? One of the ones yes. that also he, to say the least, inflated from 10,000 feet to 30,000 feet and why that right. matters square feet. Well, he claimed the building was three times the size it was so he could justify an enormously higher value than it's worth. And Donald does this all time. Trump Tower's 58 stories. He'll tell you it's 68 stories. Uh, he owns a mansion um, on a large wooded area in Westchester County, about uh, a short drive from Manhattan. Uh, he's claimed it's worth as much as $291 million. The most generous appraisal was $30 million, roughly a tenth of that. And it was based on the idea that he could carve it up into smaller estates and sell them off. And the local authorities have said, no, we're not going to allow you to carve it up. So the property is more likely worth something in the order of, uh, say, $10 million. And Donald's claims are 29 times that much. So uh, Samuel Bankman Freed is on trial right nearby here in New York. He was jailed before the trial for um, violating a gag order. Uh, President Trump has just had a bag, a, a gag order imposed uh, because, among other things, of what he just tweeted out in the midst of the trial, that the clerk who was sitting just feet from him right next to the judge was having an affair with Chuck Schumer. Um, can you talk about the significance of what it would mean if the judge found him guilty of violating that gag order? Could he end up in the same position as Samuel Bankman-Fried? He absolutely could end up remanded to jail. Uh, Donald is, I believe, for political reasons, trying to provoke one of the judges in his criminal or this civil case to send him to jail so that he can rally his supporters and say, see, they're, the system is rigged. They're out to get me. I didn't do anything wrong, but they're going to shut me up. Uh, he threatened uh, General Milley, who just retired as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's not going to result in being remanded to custody because General Milley, who was a valorous infantryman in combat, is not being intimidated by Donald. I mean, he essentially the, said that Milley should be executed. Absolutely. He said he should be executed. Uh, 
The judge's secretary, however, or clerk, I'm sorry, the judge's clerk, has nothing to do with the merits of the proceedings. And the judge made it clear that you write or say anything about any person on my staff and there will be consequences. And I think he's made it pretty clear that Trump might get one more chance. But if he does it twice, uh, I assure you, then he's going to be remanded by this judge. And for people to understand how a decision has been made in parts of this trial, I mean, it is a bench jury. It's a bench trial. Uh, it doesn't go to a jury. Oh, and also President Trump um, lied when he said uh, he had wanted a jury trial because his lawyers never asked for one. Right. Well, Donald, I, I'm confident based on his public remarks, would be very concerned that a New York City jury, a Manhattan jury, could be very bad for him. They might rule very heavily against him. So his lawyers accepted uh, a bench trial, whether they did it by incompetence or intentionally, they agreed to this. So there's no question about that. He's been denied nothing by the judge. And the facts in this case are so overwhelming that uh, Letitia James put before the court showing that again and again and again, every time the Trumps valued a property, they overvalued if they'd been a mixed bag, you know, now and then they overvalued things. Most of the time they were reasonable. Uh, that would be different. And, you know, Amy, imagine you own a $300,000 house. Well, maybe it's worth 270000 Maybe it's worth three hundred and thirty. But if you go to a bank and say, loan me money, uh, this house is worth $3 million or $30 million, that's just fraud. Mm -hmm. So all this trial is about, or primarily what this trial is about, is how much in damages does Donald Trump own for his and his son's years of fraud? So David K. Johnston, you have written um, several books on Donald Trump. Is this case more important to them? He also fell off the what Forbes billionaire list um, than any of the other ones. Well, it's more important to Donald's mind because he grew up in a household with a father who was just a complete monster and who taught him and his other children that all that matters is getting the money. As long as you don't get arrested, uh, do whatever you need to do. There are no rules. You're special. The rules of law, the rules of decency, they don't apply to you. And so to Donald in his psyche, this is much more important. But the fact is that in the other cases, particularly the effort to overthrow the United States government on January 6th, he faces prison if convicted. Uh, but those are down the road a little bit. Right now, he's very concentrated on this. And as I said in the beginning, to Donald, Donald is his money. David K. Johnson, we thank you so much for being with us. Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporter, co-founder of DC Report, author of three books on Trump, including The Big Cheat, how Donald Trump fleeced America, enriched himself and his family. Next up, we speak to the attorney suing Columbia University and its affiliated hospitals on behalf of more than 300 more patients who say they were sexually assaulted by the former Columbia University gynecologist Robert Haddon over a span of decades. They say Columbia shielded the sexual predator. Stay with us. She just wants to be beautiful, she goes. I notice she knows no limits she craves attention she praises an image she prays to be sculpted by the sculptor oh she don't see the light that's shining deeper than the eyes can find it maybe we're made of blind 
Here's to Your Beautiful by Alicia Cara. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Here in New York, as Manoush Shafiq made history Wednesday when she became the first woman to be inaugurated president of Columbia University. The ceremony was protested by well over 100 medical students wearing their white coats who joined with survivors of sexual abuse by the former Columbia obstetrician gynecologist, Robert Haddon. Dr. Haddon was sentenced to 20 years in prison this year for molesting his patients for over two decades, while Columbia ignored his patients who spoke out, undermined prosecutors, shielded the sexual predator, he said. I'm Rin Chan, I'm a second year medical student, um, and we're here to spread awareness about what's happening with Dr. Robert Haddon and the cover-up that Columbia has perpetuated for the past several decades. It's honestly disgusting, and we're here to demand accountability by our institution and to show that as future medical professionals, we will not stand for this, and we want to make our voices heard. You protected Robert Haddon! You protected Robert Haddon! You protected Robert Haddon! You protected One of the reasons we are here today to notify the patients is because after November 23rd, victims of Robert Haddon and there are thousands will not be able to get justice or hold Columbia University accountable. They have been silent this entire time. I was a patient from 2002 to 2012, and I had to uh, find other resources and survivors myself. And luckily some other women have seen me in the news, and that is the only reason why they know of Robert Haddon in jail. Another Dr. Haddon survivor who joined the medical students at the protest was Evelyn Yang. She's the wife of the former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang. She has said Haddon sexually abused her during her first pregnancy in 2012. As soon as I walked through the gates, there were hundreds of medical students in their white lab coats um, on, in the aisles, in the walkways, on the lawns, and they were just um, spreading the word about how Columbia has still failed to notify Dr. Robert Haddon patients um, that he is a convicted sex felon. So I was overwhelmed with just um, uh, you know appreciation that they would take on this cause. Uh, and I, I realize it's not necessarily for us, for the survivors of Dr. Haddon, um, although it is very much in support of us because you know we we were um, we were harmed by him and we we believe that there are still hundreds if not thousands of Haddon patients um, who still do not know that he is a convicted sex offender a sex predator and they deserve to know I mean wouldn't you want to know if your OBGYN had sexually assaulted 500 other patients um, but I also think that it's um, especially meaningful that these are medical students because the prosecutors called Dr. Haddon a predator in a white coat. So they're walking around protesting wearing their white coats because, you know, they are going to swear an oath of no harm. And the harm in this case wasn't just perpetrated by Dr. Haddon, it was perpetrated by the university. So the expose in ProPublica exposed how they had covered up for him and enabled him for decades. And that's really um, perhaps an even 
speaker um, for trail. And I, and I came today to really support the students in the community and their call for action. Everyone was chanting, notify the patients. Why is that so significant in this year? So in, it's significant because of the Adult Survivors Act that I, along with other survivors, fought very hard to pass, which opens up uh, a look back window, regardless of the statute of limitations. If you are a sexual assault survivor in the state of New York, you have until November 23rd, 2023, to file a claim. And that window is closing uh, soon. So Columbia has an opportunity now, especially with the new president, to turn the page, to show that they care about patients, they care about the community in a meaningful way backed with action. And if they can notify patients, um, then patients have a, they have a chance to, um, you know, take some action. And the significance of this being the inauguration of the first woman president of Columbia University. Well, President Shafiq, she has a gynecologist. She knows how vulnerable it is to sit in that chair and to, um, you know, uh, and, and, and she knows she knows what it's like to be a woman, to be subjected to that um, regularly. And it wouldn't cross your mind to be violated by a doctor in that way. And she has a chance to reduce the harm that the previous administration perpetrated. And we are very disappointed that to date, she um, seems to be taking a, a page from the, the old playbook. And she's giving us a lot of, um, you know, I, we're, we're, we're so, we're sorry that you were hurt. Um, we're heartbroken for you, but she has still failed to take any meaningful action to notify the patients or um, commission a third party independent investigation into um, the cover up that led to Haddon abusing women for over 20, 30 years. That's Evelyn Yang, one of the first to speak out against Dr. Haddon. I spoke to Evelyn Yang as the first woman president of Columbia University was being inaugurated. Columbia University Irving Medical Center and New York Presbyterian Hospital reached two settlements with hundreds of Haddon victims in 2021 and 2022. This week, 301 additional former patients of Haddon who alleged they were sexually exploited and abused by him filed a new lawsuit that argues Dr. Haddon is, quote, the most prolific serial sexual predator in New York state history. For more, we're joined by the attorney who's been suing Columbia for over a decade to hold the university accountable for covering up Haddon's abuse, Anthony DiPietro. He's joining us from Salt Lake City, Utah, also uh, Evelyn Yang's attorney. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, and so as this was playing out on this beautiful blue sky day on Wednesday up at Columbia University, the victims of Dr. Haddon, together with well over 100 medical students in their white coats, demanding that the university notify the patients. Anthony Pietro, you had just filed yet another lawsuit. Columbia's already paid out something like what? Um, a quarter of a billion dollars 
to patients of Haddon. Talk about this latest lawsuit. Yeah, that's correct, Amy, and and thank you. Um, you know, the recent filing that we made this past week brings the total victims and survivors of Columbia University and Robert Haddon to over 538 patients. Robert Haddon abused single women, married women, pregnant women, recent mothers. He even abused a 16-year-old who he previously had delivered at her first GYN visit. He literally is the most prolific serial sexual predator in the history of New York State. So explain, take us back to the beginning. I mean, on Democracy Now!, we've had a number of Haddon's patients on. Can you explain, there's two issues here. One is that Dr. Haddon sexually assaulted, was just found guilty, sentenced to 20 years in prison for sexually assaulting patients. But then there's the issue of what Columbia knew and when the university knew it. Uh, talk about that, Anthony. Sure, so Columbia knew from the beginning what they were dealing with with Robert Haddon at every level. The chairperson, uh, the, the risk management people, they knew what they were dealing with. But for the past 36 years, they have been covering up this abuse from the public, from the patients, and even from the state prosecutors. So talk about the evidence that you have of this. In fact, you're in Utah right now, you're in Salt Lake City. Um, wasn't it a patient now who is in Utah who said they notified Columbia decades ago? Correct, so one of our clients, Saul Evelyn Yang, um, on TV uh, a couple years ago, and said, and reached out to us and said, hey, you know, this guy abused me in 1993, and I wrote a letter to the chairman, and the chairman wrote back. The chairman? And I believe, you know, I, the chairman, the, the chairman of the, the, uh, the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology wrote back, acknowledged that she was abused, and said he was gonna take care of the problem, but he was going on vacation next week, and he would deal with it when he got back, and he never did anything. We also had Lori Kenyuk on recently, uh, another of Dr. Haddon's patients. She's the patient who is in his office, and to her horror, she felt him licking her. Um, she called her partner, she was very pregnant. Um, her partner raced to where she was and was calling the police. Uh, repeatedly, the police came to their home, then went right to the Columbia Hospital where Dr. Haddon was, his office, and had him arrested. So Columbia absolutely knew at that point. Um, can you talk about that case? Yet he was back at work the next week after being arrested by police for sexual assault. Amy, it is outrageous. This guy was arrested at 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. Every person at the university, at the hospital, who needed to know, knew. Mary Dalton, who was the current and still is the current chairperson of obstetrics and gynecology, knew. John Ivanko, Haddon's direct supervisor, knew. Jane Booth, general counsel for Columbia University, knew. And what they did is they got their lawyers, they got the arrest vacated, and they let him back that next Tuesday so he can continue abusing patients. Five weeks later 
is when he assaulted Evelyn Yang. So he came back and then went on to assault. Now, this is the question. How many people have been assaulted by Dr. Haddon? Um, you heard at that Columbia University protest, um, the demand, the medical students repeating over and over, chanting, notify the patients. Talk about the significance of this. The only entity that knows who all of Haddon's patients are is Columbia University, is that right? For all of the people he's seen for decades. What has been officially put out, aside from people seeing shows like Democracy Now! or reading um, ProPublica, the investigations, or seeing someone like Evelyn Yang on television, how do people know whether they can come forward in the significance of this one-year look back that Governor Hochul signed off on of, um, of adult survivors being able to sue only, though, if they report this by November 23rd? In fact, E. Jean Carroll, uh, assaulted, sexually assaulted by President Trump, used this look back to bring her lawsuit that the case, uh, the attack took place decades ago. Sure, Amy, make no mistake about this. These are Columbia University's patients. These weren't Robert Haddon's patients. These were patients of Columbia University. Columbia has the medical records, Columbia has the patient lists, Columbia did all the billing. In 2016, the state of New York ordered that all of Haddon's patients be notified that he lost his license. But Columbia is saying, that the burden isn't on them, it's on Robert Haddon. That is outrageous. They weren't Haddon's patients, they were Columbia's patients, and Columbia's the only one that could possibly contact them. But they're refusing to do it, and that's why we're pushing. And here's why this is important, okay? It's not just about the Adult Survivors Act, although that is important. I've gotten countless phone calls from women who, you know, they happen to see this on the news, or they see it on social media, and they call me, and they're like, oh my God, this happened to me 15 years ago. And I've been carrying this around thinking that I was the only person, like maybe I did something wrong to invite this. They need to know that they're not alone. They shouldn't be having to carry this burden around with them for their entire lives because Columbia's administration refuses to send them a notification letter to let them know that Robert Haddon is a convicted sexual predator who they covered up for. I want to turn to Belkis Hall, who I also spoke to at Wednesday's protest at Columbia University. This is Belkis Hall. I was a patient from 2005 to 2010. Um, I had asked my friends that had seen him if they thought there was something wrong, and they said no. So I continued to go, thinking it was natural. It wasn't only until last December that I found out that I have been abused over and over. He loved to give pain to his patients, and we thought that was normal. Let it not normalize it. If you ever feel there's something strong, listen to your gut and speak out. Yes. Keep speaking out. Keep spreading the word because this is not over. Yes.
That was Belkis Hull speaking through a loudspeaker and speaking to, along with Lori Maldonado, another guest we've had on, a victim of Dr. Haddon, uh, through a little bullhorn, uh, as they also thank the medical students for coming forward. Um, one of the things that Belkis Hull talked about was the pain that um, Dr. Haddon um, had uh, put these patients through, like Lori Maldonado, who went for a checkup. She didn't know that most people don't go for endless checkups during their nine months, but um, Haddon kept calling her in two months before he gave birth. And as she lay on the t examining table, um, he put his hand up her and punched. And these women at Columbia talked about his inflicting pain, that that was part of his sickness and his crime. Anthony DiPietro, if you could comment on this. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of patterns, right? And this is absolutely one of them. He had this sadistic streak where he would inflict pain on women. Oftentimes he would do it if they weren't compliant with other things. And this was part of what he was doing. And again, Columbia knew the entire time, but instead of protecting patients, what they were doing is they were protecting a predator. So at this point, how has Columbia explained why they haven't sent a letter out to every one of the patients they know hadn't had? Right, there's no explanation for it. We have been pushing them for years, for five, six, seven years, send out a letter to the patients, notify them that they didn't do anything wrong, they were exposed to this predator, but their excuse is that the burden is on Haddon, right? Because the order from the state was directed at Haddon. But again, these weren't Haddon's patients. And what is Columbia saying? Is Columbia saying that if Robert Haddon shows up at the medical records office and says, hey, give me you know, the names and home addresses of all these women that I've been abusing since 1987, that Columbia is gonna turn that information over to him? That's ridiculous. I wanted to go to another clip when we did speak to Lori Maldonado, the former patient of Robert Haddon between 2000, uh, who gave testimony at, um, at his sentencing. She described what happened to her when she was nine months pregnant. I was um, sexually assaulted by Robert Haddon two days before the birth of my child. I went in for, um, you know, my kind of, my, my checkup. My ex-husband was in the room with me um, and we were just excited. I remember that in the office room, my, I went to the bathroom and my mucus plug had dropped. So I was really imminent away, away from the birth and we were really excited. Um, and Haddon came in the room and he had a glimmer in his eye and I thought, that that glimmer was that he was excited like me for the birth. But now I realize it was an opportunity for him um, to commit sexual assault. And um, he, you know, I, he later said, oh, you know, one more thing. I, I, um, I need to check you. And he took me behind the curtain um, away from my husband and put me on the exam table. And what I thought was, you know, that he was going to check my cervix um, just to make sure that the baby was okay. Um, but that's not what happened. Um, 
um, what did happen um, was Haddon um, used his hands to harm me and he stuck his fist inside of my vagina and it was so painful and I screamed um, and I cried out in pain and um, he abruptly left the room. Uh, my husband uh, at the time uh, came over uh, to me, checked on me. He said, are you okay? Um, and I was like, no, I'm not okay. And then he asked me a really important question. He said, do you feel violated? And I said, yes. That's Laurie Maldonado. To see the whole interview with her, one of Dr. Haddon's uh, survivors, you can go to democracynow.org. Anthony DiPietro, we want to thank you very much for being with us, attorney representing women who are sexually abused by former Columbia University obstetrician, gynecologist Robert Haddon. Um, DiPietro has filed a new lawsuit against the university um, and its affiliated hospitals on behalf of an additional 301 patients who were allegedly sexually assaulted by Haddon. Also, this related news in California, George Tyndall, the former University of Southern California gynecologist accused of sexual abuse by hundreds of students, was found dead at his home this week. USC agreed to pay over a billion dollars in settlements to survivors. Survivors have said Tyndall raped or forcibly touched them, made racist and misogynistic comments while he sexually abused them. Tyndall was awaiting trial and out on a $1.3 million bail. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We end today's show with one of the 75,000 healthcare workers with Kaiser Permanente who walked off the job this week in the largest strike of healthcare workers in U.S. history in California and Oregon and Washington, Colorado, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Talks have failed to yield a new agreement as workers seek higher pay, better staffing, improvements in their pension plans and other benefits. For more, we're joined on the picket line in Clackamas, Oregon, by Kevin Darden, a patient access representative and a member of the union's local bargaining team at Kaiser Permanente Sunnyside Medical Center. And Meg Nimi, we're going to begin with you, president of SEIU Local 49. Meg, can you talk about the significance of this three-day strike and if you've gotten concessions from Kaiser Permanente? I mean, this is a historic strike. Uh, 75,000 Kaiser Permanente workers walking off the job to tell Kaiser executives that it's time to end the short staffing crisis. Can you tell us where you are right now as we look at you in the dark because it's so early in the morning? I'm out front of Kaiser Sunnyside Medical Center here in Clackamas, Oregon. Our members are setting up their strike line this morning, um, getting ready to begin our picketing activities. We want to bring Kevin Darden into the conversation, a patient access representative member um, of the union's local bargaining team at Kaiser Permanente Sunnyside Medical Center. Kevin, can you talk about your demands and the significance of this largest strike of healthcare workers in U.S. history? Yes, good morning. What we're here today is we're asking our Kaiser executives to bargain in good faith with us, the frontline healthcare workers. We have the proposals and we have the solutions to solving Kaiser's short staffing crisis. And we're just asking them to come to us and meet with us. We have those solutions and we're hoping they can come and bargain in good faith. Mm -hmm. And can you talk, Megnimi, about the strategy of doing this three-day strike? Yeah, our, 
the Kaiser members are out here taking action to get Kaiser to listen to us around patient care, make sure that the patients are getting the care that they actually need. And our members made a decision to say, you know, we're going to walk off the job. We want to do this for a short amount of days, for three days. But we have let Kaiser executives know that if we cannot come to an agreement that solves the short staffing crisis, that we'll be out here again. And can you talk about the scale of the strike? Who's involved? Uh, talking about nurses, medical technicians, pharmacists. Talk about who's out on the strike and also your concern about continuing to care for patients. Um, right now, out on this strike across the country are healthcare workers that have been essential workers from across the hospitals and clinics. So we have medical assistants, licensed practical nurses, housekeepers, there are pharmacists, there are dietary workers, there are dental workers. There are literally hundreds and thousands of different workers who are often the people that are closest to delivering patient care. They're the first people that you see. They're the people that are right next to you at the bedside. Um, and all of them have come out here because they care so much about their patients. And they're really concerned about how they've seen a deterioration of care, a deterioration of patients being able to get access to care. And they felt like it was very important that they took this strong stand so that Kaiser Permanente executives will actually turn force and reprioritize patient care. Kaiser Permanente is the largest nonprofit healthcare organization in the United States. Just how big is it, Magnimi? No, Kaiser Permanente is a giant healthcare institution. They, we know that they've made over $3 billion in profits already this year. They have $114 billion invested in the stock market. They have a lot of resources. Um, for employees that are represented by our coalition of unions, there are 85,000 Kaiser Permanente employees that are represented in this coalition. There are 75,000 of those workers who are up, had contracts expired and were able to take this action. And Kevin Darden, can you tell us the response of people in Oregon around you and Clackamas, the public officials, and what this three-day strike has meant? Yeah, so over the past uh, two days that we've been out here, we've had state representatives come out and join us here on the picket line. We've had providers, nurses, community members, Kaiser patients come to us. And, you know, they're driving on this boulevard behind me. They're honking their horns. They're giving us hearts. They're giving us a thumbs up. The community knows the struggles that Kaiser's going with the staffing issues. They know that they can do better and they're giving us their full support. So we're proudly out here. We're here for our patients. We're here for our community. Kaiser can do better. And patient support, the level of patient support, Kevin, as you demand uh, more staff so that more patients can be dealt with and wait on uh, uh, um, shorter lines. Yes, that's correct. You know, we saw here in the Northwest our urgent care and pharmacy hours slashed. They used to be open until nine. Now they're open till seven. And so our members are feeling that when members call our appointment centers and they tell them to see their primary care provider is four to eight weeks out. 
you know, that's that's a serious issue for them. They they need care. We're known for our five star quality care. And that's what our community is demanding is Kaiser go back to its roots and provide that excellent service that they're known for. Kevin Darden, want to thank you for being with us. Patient Access Representative, member thank of you. the union's local bargaining team at Kaiser Permanente Sunnyside Medical Center in Clackamas, Oregon. And Meg Nemi, president of SEIU Local 49. They were both joining us from the picket line. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh my goodness. Okay, everybody. So we have one last really good one here. This is uh, Greg Braden, pure human. Mm. Trials and tribulations within two timelines of our evolutionary path. Mm. Join Jean Nolan from InspiredChannel.com and Greg Braden for an engaging talk. They'll discuss two evolutionary paths, one focused on technology and the other on natural development. This fascinating dialogue promises to be an eye-opener, shedding light on crucial aspects of our collective evolutionary journey a not-to-be-missed conversation for anyone eager to explore the depths of human evolution and our place in the tapestry of life. Stay connected. All right. Got it, Rama? Mm. All right. This is 46 minutes and 45 seconds. Mm. This will take us right out to the edge. Here we go. Mm. I have the biggest smile on my face today uh, because something that I've been looking forward to for a very long time is happening today, a conversation uh, that I was envisioning, manifesting, and it's here. Uh, I'm talking about Greg Braden, and, you know, the list of his accomplishments is so long. I'll just give you a little bit. He's a five-time New York Times bestselling author, scientist, educator, and pioneer in the emerging paradigm bridging science, spirituality, social policy, and human potential. Greg Braden, it's my great honor and pleasure uh, to have you on today. Thank you for coming. John Nolan, I am so excited to be here with you. I'm thrilled to be with your community. Your community is my family, and I'm, I'm just honored and thrilled. I've followed your work. I've followed your music for many years, and uh, this is a media week for me, and I, I get a little Excel spreadsheet that has my all my media interviews. And when I looked down and I saw yours, I had a big smile that has lasted now since the beginning of the week. So I'm, I'm honored. This is unscripted, of course. We have no idea where this is going to go. It's a dance, my brother. I'm going to follow your lead. And uh, <laughs> let's let's just see what, what happens here. You're, you, you have moved through so many worlds and are connecting the dots from those worlds that are seemingly disconnected, but they all belong together, like you said, to different disciplines, to sciences. As a matter of fact, it is my belief that these disciplines have been disconnected from each other on purpose to compartmentalize knowledge, which makes it harder yeah. for the population to, to realize it's, we, it's all a connected field, which touches back on what you said is what we um, 
really talk a lot about are the two timelines we're currently so clearly seeing. One is this technocratic path that the mainstream sure. is is really pushing hard for. And the other one is the organic human timeline, which we're just beginning to rediscover. Like you said, there was uh, there was intervention 200,000 years ago uh, in, in Native American cultures, which is your background too. Um, it's called the gift of the feather, the gift of consciousness that was given that um, basically put us on a different trajectory. So on this organic timeline, you, you spoke about extraordinary abilities uh, and, and what we might be capable of if we give ourselves the time to really rediscover that. And we have people today that are not the, the gurus um, that are so foreign oftentimes to our culture. We have the Wim Hofs today that are showing what is not just possible for one person, but basically can be taught and replicated. Um, in your view, what would it take for us right now um, to at least for a critical mass hit that pause button for a little bit on on the technocratic path mm. and focus on this organic timeline? Wow, it's, it's a big question, John, and, and I know we're going to have a big conversation. So with your permission, what I'd like to do is is to answer that by laying a little bit of a foundation that we can tie into. Uh, my sense is our time will go quickly. And uh, this may become uh, Jean and Greg part one, and then we can tie back into this and refer to this uh, in future conversations as well. You okay if we do it? I would way? love that. Please, please go ahead. Yeah. So, so I, I think I'll begin. the The timelines that you're talking about are are evident because we are. There's a battle unfolding in our lives, and I, this is no secret to anyone who is is with us right now. There's a battle unfolding in plain sight, and there are facets of that battle that are more obvious than others. For example, we all know there's a battle for our thoughts, and we're being inundated with ways to think. If you are in any way connected through any kind of legacy media or mainstream media, there is a battle for our beliefs. And this is playing out in the universities and the classrooms. Where did the universe come from? How did it begin? Is it random or is there an intelligent design underlying it? It's a battle for the way we think of ourselves and our origins. Are we the product of lucky biology uh, and completely random mutations? Or is there some kind of an intelligent intervention underlying our existence? So there's, there's a battle for our thoughts. There's a battle for our beliefs. There's a battle for our bodies. That's obvious. How do you get healthy? What does it take to stay healthy? Uh, how much do we participate and how much do we empower something outside of ourselves to keep us healthy? We all know about that. Ultimately, John, these are all facets of a deeper battle. And it's a battle that is so obvious. They say the best way to hide something is to keep it in plain sight. And that's exactly what's happening. There is a battle for our very humanness. We are the prize. We are the prize in this ancient battle that has been playing out since humans first emerged. And we all know this as the battle between good and evil, or the battle between light and dark. And it plays out through the technology that's available at the period in time as it's playing out. And we happen to be living a, a very sophisticated technological age, but that same ancient battle is playing out. The battle for our humanness, and the reason our humanness is on the line, I'm going to use a word and then I'll define this word because it means different things to different people. 
the reason our humanness is so important is because through our biology, we access our divinity. And this is actually a battle, an ancient battle for our divinity. Now, many, I said this on the stage uh, two weeks ago, and many people in the audience linked divinity to religion. And I can see why that would happen because we have seen that. I mean, there are, are schools of divinity that are linked to religion. But if you look at the Webster definition, it's really interesting. Divinity has nothing to do with religion. So let me share what that definition is, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Divinity is the ability to transcend perceived human limitations, and that's it. The ability to transcend, so to become more, than not to survive, but to become more than those limitations, and even in the definition, perceived. Those limitations may not even be real. They are the, the, the limitations that we've been conditioned to accept about ourselves, our relationship to our bodies in the world. So why is the divinity so powerful? And the reason is because when we embrace the deep truth of our divinity, John, we are no longer shackled by the bonds of fear that keeps us from the deep truth of ourselves. The events that you're seeing playing out in the world, when we're all seeing it, all this stuff's important. Climate is important. You know, the, the buckling and the breaking down of the financial systems, the economic systems, social systems, uh, you know, all this. It's all important. It all needs to be talked about. However, it has been weaponized. The events of our world have been weaponized to keep us in fear so that our divinity is veiled. And when we lose access to our divinity, we become vulnerable and susceptible to other people's ideas of and their agendas of what the world should look like and what our bodies should look like. So it is in the interest of the powers that be that have alternate agendas and have alternate visions to keep us from our divinity. And to one of the most effective ways of doing that is to create fear in a population. And we are inundated every day, even if you don't watch TV. It's I go to my little local co-op, you know, where I get all my organic produce. And that's where I plug into my local community. And, and people are frightened because things are happening that have never happened before. There appears to be no remedy. So you can't resolve the fear. You're in perpetual fear. And it threatens uh Everything that people know to be true about their lives, the certainty of life, they cannot plan with certainty their children's education or their retirement or whether or not they're going to be able to, you know, to help their parents in a nursing home because the prices are so high. You know, I mean, all kinds. Try killing bugs the worry freeway, not the other way. Zevo traps use light, not odors or chemical insecticides, to attract and trap flying insects. They work continuously, so you don't have to. Zevo, people friendly, bug deadly. All kinds of the, the, the certainty that we had in the past has disappeared, and that uncertainty uh, creates a level of panic, anxiety, and fear. So there's a battle for our divinity that's playing out. Now, part of that battle, it's not new. This has happened at least three generations in the modern technological world. It's been happening for thousands of years uh, on, the, on the spiritual level. We are the product, and, and I have no children, by the way. I have friends that have children. So what I'm going to say is still being taught in the schools today. 
our young people are being taught that the human body is flawed by its very existence, that we are a flawed form of life. Carbon-based life is flawed. And for example, among the flaws, uh, emotion, our ability to emote and to have emotions is considered to be a flaw by these technocratic people that, that are teaching this because the, the emotion clouds, they say, clouds our ability to think clearly and, and to make good decisions. They're teaching our young people that human intimacy and sexuality is flawed because when a man and a woman conceive a child, there's so much uncertainty. There's, there's no precision. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know the eye color, the hair color. You don't know fast twitch muscles for athletic performance or what kind of IQ. So we're teaching our young people that, that the human biology is flawed and that we are victims of a world that we have no control over. And if we're victims, oh it means we need a savior and that savior is being touted as technology. And oh this is God. the foundation to answer the question that you're asking about now. Our young people are being taught that technology is what will save them. It will give them the edge in life, the ability to compete oh. successfully uh, and to replace the, the flawed human biology. When we replace our natural biology with synthetics, when we lose the DNA, which is literally, so this isn't a metaphor, it is literally an antenna. It is a, a very high frequency antenna that tunes us to our divinity, our, the timeless, ageless part of us where our intuition comes from and where our creativity and our imagination come from. That, that's all done through through the biology, the DNA. When you begin to replace the DNA with synthetic polymers and with chemicals, or you alter the DNA that exists, you still have it, but you alter it. It's like taking the dial on your, your radio station and tuning it just enough so you no longer pick up that station. You no longer tune into your divinity. This is what we're seeing, and it's not like it's going to happen. It's already happening. And it's being done through really effective marketing. I mean, I know it's happening and I'm still in awe at how slick and, and sexy the marketing is, the, the high tech marketing that appeals to young people that makes it look really cool to have a, uh, a computer chip in your brain so that you can communicate with your gaming device without using any wires. They say, man, that's sweet. That's sweet, you know. And, and so this we're, we're living at this pivotal crossroad. Where in one generation, this can't drag on, it's, it's evolving too quickly. In one generation, we will determine how much of ourselves we give away to technology. And another way of, of looking at this is we will also determine whether or not we love ourselves enough, John, to embrace the deep truth of the gift of our humanness that was given to us 200,000 years ago. And the extraordinary potential is given to no other form of life that we're only beginning to understand. We're, we're about to give it away before we even know what we're giving away. Exactly. And so that, and that's what the book Pure Human is, is really all about. So this is where we are. And how this is playing out now is the answer to your question. There are two parallel societies that are they're with us right now. There's one group of people that are all in on all the tech, on everything. They're saying, bring it on. 
I just saw a, a video of uh, there are European countries that are now requiring RFID chips in the body to get into the security rooms and in offices uh, and for banking and finance. So yeah. I, I just saw there was now this is an extreme. There was one guy that had 34 RFID chips in his body and he was very proud. He said, look, when I leave the house, I'm free. I don't have to take my billfold, no credit cards. I don't have to remember anything. He says it's it's great. And and this is the way that it's being touted. So there there's one group that's all in. And then when I go down to my little co-op here and just outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico, like I said, I don't have any kids. I'm not plugged into the local community in that way. And this is this is where I get to connect with my neighbors. They don't know everything you and I are talking about because they're busy raising kids and they're busy trying to keep their farms alive because the government subsidies aren't helping, the climate change isn't helping, uh, the supply chains that are broken down are still broken down in some respects. So they they don't talk about everything you and I are talking about, but here's what they do know. They look at me and they say, Greg, something is not right. Right. They said, things are changing too fast. We need to get back to the basics. They're pulling their kids out of public school to homeschool them. They're saying, we need to grow our own food. They're making it illegal now to sell private produce in the farmer's markets uh, in some states. And they're making it illegal to pull our own water or they're being taxed. We're being taxed if we pull water out of the ground or if it's captured from the roof as rainwater. And they're saying we need to get back to the basics of taking care of ourselves and our community. We don't know what's going on in the world. Doesn't make sense. But we need to slow down and go back to the basics. So so that's the other path. And you're seeing both of them simultaneously right now. And sometimes it's in the same household. Sometimes it's the same dinner table. The kids want the tech and the parents want to go back to the basics. So here's what's going to happen. And it'll, it'll happen within this lifetime. We're going to do what humans always do. We're going to check each other out. And we're going to say, ultimately, who's happier? Who's healthier? Whose lives are more fulfilled? The people that have followed the tech given all in on the technological path, the people that have chosen to slow down and go back to the basics. My sense, I'm a realist, I'm an optimist, I'm also a realist. I think we'll probably find something midway. John, I think the tech is here. We'll always have some of the technology. The question is, do we become enslaved by the technology or do we allow the technology to serve us so that we could be healthier, happier, freer, love without fear, love more completely and stay connected. So I don't think we're gonna give up the tech. Uh, and I think we may we may choose, there will be a, a segment of the population that will choose to allow the technology to serve them outside of their bodies rather than inviting that technology to replace their natural biology in their bodies. So it's a long answer to a short question. And I wanted to lay that foundation so that we can tie into that for the rest of our conversation. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And and Greg, I, I want to go one step further in this because we we sort of kind of established, and, and I think we're of the same belief here that, as you said, there is a design, there's a designer, there's a creator, there is something intelligent that created this beautiful, amazing human potential and biology and and what we're truly capable of. Now, on the other side of this equation, there is an 
an intelligent design that is creating this technocratic path. And like, like you said, the, the, the point of, or perhaps the distinction is that um, this other side isn't satisfied with just creating technology that might serve humanity. It, it wants to usurp it, it literally and, and alter it to a point of no return. And, and that's now clear. I mean, the, the Ray Kurzweil's and the people that have been out there saying this very yeah. clearly, there's no doubt about it. There is no sugarcoating this. What, because we are at war, um, because I don't want to push my view on anyone else, but I feel like I, I'm not getting the same courtesy from, from the technocrats, right? They're, they're pushing hard. So unlike other toothpastes, Crespo Health antibacterial fluoride protects for up to 12 hours. Cress. So what is, you mean, uh, John, are you saying the dark forces aren't being nice to you? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yes, that, that's what I'm saying. So what, what kind of force are we dealing with? And um, um, Greg, this, this is a, a multifaceted question because you can go into another dimensional realm or you can go into perhaps even another species. To the best it's, of your ability and your experience, what are we dealing with here? Because I think it's important to know that. Yeah, I'll answer that on two different levels. It, it is complex and it's also really simple, John, very, very simple because life is simple. Nature is simple until we make it complex. Science is actually simple until we make it complex with symbols and equations and, and really big words. The principles are really simple. So I'm going to tie back into everything I just said. There is a battle that is playing out in our lives. It's not going to happen. We are in it. And the only way out of it is to go through it. We get to choose. We're, we have to go through it now because we're in it. Be like the buffalo. Walk through the storm. Exactly. Exactly. I think the question is, do we come out of this battle with a soft landing or do we come out with, with a harder landing? When we talk about a battle, we talk, people typically think in terms of fighting. And what I want to say really clearly is the way to win this battle is, is not about fighting. Because if we fight against the things that are happening, that is what keeps us stuck in the ancient trap of the, the polarities that lock us into this, this age-old battle. The way we win this battle is by living the best version of ourselves. When we become the best version of ourselves, when we embrace the deep truth of our divinity and we live that divinity day in and day out in our lives – then we are no longer living in the fear that keeps us in powerless, feeling powerless and helpless as these ideas and these alternate uh, agendas are, are being proposed. I mean, it's happening. There are policies being written right now and laws are being enacted that are based on, on very dark agendas. And we all know that. So I, I want to be really clear uh, about this as well. We all know there are times we have to fight. And there's a warrior within every one of us. We had to fight. If we had not fought during World War II, uh, when it reached the point that it did, uh, you know, with the Hitler's conquest of, of Europe, uh, by the time it reached that point, we had to fight. Now, there are places before that where that whole scenario could have been avoided. But the reason that it happened is because people were disempowered emotionally psychologically, mentally, and with the ability to defend themselves. Those nations gave away 
the freedoms that we have today, and they gave away the, the ability to protect themselves and the people that they love. And when they gave those things away, they opened the door to what we saw happening. So we all know there are times that we have to fight, and I'm not saying that we will never do that. What I'm saying is on this this spiritual level of divinity, when you love freely and you free yourself from the shackles and the bonds of that fear that embraces so many of our friends and neighbors, what that does is if you're not living in that fear, then you are no longer vulnerable. You're no longer susceptible to those those other ideas and those other visions. I am a huge fan of Buckminster Fuller. Uh, some of our viewers probably don't even remember him because he, I think he passed in 1982 or 1983, but you probably know who he is because he's probably best known for his architectural ideas based on the geodesic dome. So if you see geodesic homes or, you know, buildings that that was, they call them buckyballs. That was Buckminster Fuller. And he, I was working in the cold war uh, industry, John, a lot of our, our viewers may not know that uh, not by choice. There's a whole story of how I ended up where I ended up. But I, I ended up working uh, in the defense industry during the Cold War as a senior computer systems designer uh, for a, a project called SDI, Star Wars Defense Initiative, and another project called Peacekeeper, which was actually a anything but peace. It was it was a, a missile system, uh, and it was during that time I was reading Buckminster Fuller, and he said something that was so powerful. One sentence that stood out to me and he said, you'll never change the world by fighting against the things you don't like. He said, if you don't, if you want a better world, he said, find a new way that makes the old way obsolete and people will follow the new way and the old way falls away. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think we may see it in this lifetime. I mean, what happens if they throw a war? What if they throw a war and nobody comes, nobody shows up? I'm seeing young people, I know young people today that are having a change in consciousness. They love this country and they would fight if this country were ever attacked or if their families were ever attacked. I but to go on- I would go, to, I would to, do that. I would, I, I, I would as well. And, and, to, and to, to walk onto the land of our brothers and sisters in an, another nation and to hurt or kill them uh, because we're being told to do that. Something has shifted in their consciousness and they say, you know, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. And so we're seeing this happen right now. There is a shift in consciousness and it's it's tricky because we need both. We need to be able to defend ourselves and we need defenses on the one hand because we're living a paradigm that we've already built. On the other hand, we're moving into a new paradigm where we're operating on different levels, higher dimensional levels, higher psychological levels uh, and you know, we're experiencing that now. We're living fifth dimensional warfare. We're in the war right now that is a psychological and a, a mental and an emotional, a, a very primal emotional battle that is, is playing out. Rather than imposing the new world upon us, we're being led through fear to make the choices that lead to the world. That is the agenda and the vision of uh, of people like the UN and the WEF and, and things like that. So it's, it's a very, it's a really interesting time and it's a powerful time. And I, I think our, our greatest defense that we have, how you win this war is you become 
healthier than you've ever been. Don't succumb to the crap that they're trying to feed you through through the media. I just drove down the street in Santa Fe, and I love my city here, and I looked, and building after building after building was crappy fast food. And I said, you know, if they're going to put the time and energy into building a brick-and-mortar structure and you're going to buy things to sell to people, why not sell them something that's good for them? And it was just, and I'm not going to name, call out any one. It was all of them. It was all heavy, battered, fried, uh, saturated fat, one after another. After, And then you look at what's happening. It's not just the city. I see it in a lot of cities I go to. And then you see the uptick in obesity and diabetes and hypertension that are called comorbidities when a bug comes around. And and then you say, you know, are these coincidences that the... And then I switched to Liberty Mutual and saved hundreds. I know, exactly. These things are happening. And, And by living the best version of ourselves, we consciously walk away from that crappy food because, I, you know, we're, we're just covering so much ground. I'm going to go back one of my early in my career, and, and I still do. I, I studied an ancient sect called the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S. I know a lot of your viewers know who they are. Jesus was of the Essenes, as was his mother. And when I was reading some of the Essene texts back in the 1980s, there was a, uh, a conversation that Jesus, and when I talk about Jesus, this is, is a learned man who also is, is a spiritual figure. But just as a learned man, uh, he was sharing things in his time that were radical ideas. And by the way, the Essenes did not know themselves as the Essenes. They, called, uh, they were known as therapeutae because they knew how to heal the body. And so when his disciples asked him, they said, Master, what is it that we should use to nourish our bodies? The way he, he didn't give them a list of do's and don'ts. He gave them a principle that we can apply in our lives today, John. And what he said, he said, the things that kill your food kill also your body. And the things that give life to your food give life to your body. Therefore, eat only the things that give life to your body. Man, you can't get any clearer than that. You can't get any clearer than that. The stuff that comes out of a process machine has has never seen the earth. It doesn't know what what natural food is. And this is what many people are using to, to fill their bodies. So part of our divinity, as we awaken to this extraordinary potential, to the fact that we are the product of an intelligent, divine intervention, we were given abilities through our genetic blueprint that no other form of life are given. And to honor that, why would we want to put anything into our bodies other than what would nourish that gift? And I know it's a very different way of thinking for some people, but that, that is how you win this war. You win the battle by becoming the best version of yourself. And that, that's different for everyone, whatever that means. I'm not saying there's one way of living. It's just when you are able to thrive and love, and this is important, to love yourself fearlessly because that's what gives us the power then to love others and to do things for other people and to give of ourselves for other people. 
because we are so full with our own love. If we're lacking our own love, then we're always trying to get, get, get. When we are filled with the love and the respect, because with that love comes respect for our gift. When we respect ourselves enough to love ourselves to our greatest potential, that's what frees us to be at our best. And that's where we can help our brothers and sisters in ways that's very, very difficult when we're suffering on our own. Clearly, the physical health, it's also always a reflection of our spiritual and our emotional health. Um, and one thing I think you're very familiar with from your own story, and unfortunately, the vast majority of people are today, is that it isn't just the present uh, feeling of fear that is being injected from outside of us. There's also a deep and now multi-multi-generational trauma that we keep passing on that keeps us from connecting with life in the way you just mentioned. I know you come from a, uh, a very difficult upbringing as well as, as I said, many, many people do. There's, there's a systemic traumatization has been going on. We are now realizing that trauma is at the root of all of our suffering and that both aggressors and victims in the human realm are usually the victims of, of previous trauma. How, how do you see in your in your uh, traveling and with your healing work that you do, because that's what you really do is the healing work with people. How do you see the liberation and, and what happens to, to people when they uh, heal from that trauma? You know, well, thank you, John. Uh, John, and again, you just covered a lot of ground there. The uh, First of all, the travel. I, I am uh, traveling a lot, uh, more than I typically would. And I, you know, I, I don't make this a habit. I mean, I've always traveled a lot for, for the work I do. I'm honored to be invited onto stages and platforms throughout the world and uh, to be with my with my global family. What's happening now is I'm still playing catch up for the, the events that were postponed during COVID. And only now are the, the venues that we were committed to in 2019, 20, 21, 22, uh, are, they're available now so that the producers can actually follow through on the contract. They are contractually obligated to produce these events, and they can't do it if the speaker's not there. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm uh, traveling quite a bit uh, in a joyous way. And to do that, I have to be the best version of myself because my promise is to be present, to be focused, and to be the best version of myself when I step onto that stage for the people that have trusted me to change their lives to come see me. They've spent money. They've taken time away from work. They've taken time away from their families. Many of them have traveled by air, sometimes to other countries. It's my way of honoring those people. And in that way, we celebrate our humanness together. And it is, uh, it is, it's a joyous thing. And it's a lot of fun. And you and I are both musicians, you know, and I think we're been musicians probably in past lives. And we bring a lot of, of beautiful music as well as deep truths to, to, these, to these events. So I guess what I'm seeing, the generational trauma, what I see is, is this, at least in our audiences, we know that this is a, a pivotal moment in the history of our lives, of our nation, of our civilization, of our, our planet. We know this is a little window. It's a rare, precious opportunity in this little window of time to to create the energy that is moving into and that the new world will be based upon that foundation. We are all the product of trauma. 
We are a traumatized society. We are a traumatized civilization. We're still living the trauma, my family trauma. Uh, I am I am half Hebrew blood, not Jewish faith, but Hebrew blood and half Cherokee blood. And on both Cherokee and Hebrew side, there's a lot of trauma from holocausts that happened within the, the last 150 years. Mm-hmm. And what we know, this is so fascinating, John. This is this is what we do from the stage. I can show this to people. How the emotions create a chemical residue that we now recognize. They're called neuropeptides in the body. Every emotion creates a neuropeptide, and those neuropeptides want to metabolize and pass through the body, and normally they do, unless they are the product of trauma and fear, and then they cannot metabolize because the emotions haven't been resolved. They haven't been reconciled. So what happens is those neuropeptides actually attach to the organs and the tissues and the glands that we associate with that trauma. Nurturing, for example, if your bathroom needs for breeze small spaces, the always on odor fighting air freshener you set and forget. No outlets used, no batteries needed, no effort required. So your bathroom stays continuously fresh for 45 days. That's the power for breeze small spaces. In, in the feminine often uh, is associated with, with breasts and uterus. And you see the uptick in uterine cancers and, uh, and breast cancers and things like that. And there are studies being done linking those. You can't say one is the cause of the other, but there's a high correlation between trauma, uh, unresolved hurt, unresolved fear, and the sense of the lack of the ability to nurture and, and how that links to, to some of these, these conditions. So what I see on, to answer your question, what I see on my stages is our community, Jean, we don't want to take our hurt and our suffering and our trauma into the new world. This is the opportunity to heal the generational trauma that has led to the suffering that we see now so that the new world that's emerging, it's, it's going to be a cleaner world in terms of the, the emotional residue. That, that we're carrying in there. And people consciously want that. They want to heal the, the generational trauma. So how does it happen generationally? I mean, I've had people say, well, I didn't have any kids, so I, I'm not passing on the generational trauma. Well, here's what happens. Those neuropeptides actually, um, the DNA in our cells is encapsulated in a protein. And that protein responds to trauma. When the trauma is unresolved, the protein locks down on the DNA. It's called spooling. There's a term in biology. It's called genetic spooling. The, the, the protein will lock down on that DNA and prevent the DNA from its fullest expression in the presence of trauma. If there's a conception, if people have a baby, they will pass that spooling on in the sperm or the egg into the, the, the offspring, into the child. That's how you transmit generational trauma. And then the, the child will be born with the, the same spooling or with that same uh, uh, tightness around the DNA that prevents that full expression until that trauma is resolved. So this is fascinating. I mean, sadly, where a lot of this comes from is they're now studying children. They're 
the civil war in Syria has been happening for so long that now the refugee camps are are generations in in duration. They've been there for generations. And so now babies are being born in the refugee camps and their mothers are so traumatized. Their mothers are passing that trauma onto the offspring. They have uh, the brain size is smaller, body size is smaller, cognitive disabilities. All of that is from the generational trauma. Chemically, biologically, it's passed on. So even if you don't do that in the field, in the field, we are also passing that trauma because that we are all linked through our biology to that field as well. So what I'm seeing is that people are aware of that. They're conscious of that. They know that they have the opportunity and they want to heal. And there are a lot of different ways to go about doing that. A lot of different ways. But that, that's, again, a long answer to a short question. Oh, you're... I love the long answers because you built you built a journey um, that encompasses and and brings everything together. So please do not do not work <laughs> your answers. But that that's one thing that you just said is that we see uh, Christine and I host a retreat twice a year, the Yada retreat. You're the one retreat, and one of the things we see uh, more and more often is also um, there's a certain age group a little higher up that tends to come to the retreats is this sentiment of it stops with me and something new begins with me. And this is what so many people really want. We see this in family constellation therapy, how beautifully you can resolve even trauma that is multi-generational. You don't know nothing about it shows up, it presents itself and it can be resolved. So like you say, the tools are emerging from all areas and they're becoming available. And I believe this is over the next years and decades, the trauma healers, the people that feel called to help others and facilitate that healing. I believe this will be one of the most important professions over the next years and decades. Uh, it is right now, I agree. And just for our viewers, I mean, it's beyond the scope of, of what you and I can do here. I mentioned there are many pathways. The uh, family constellation is, is really, really powerful. Heart-brain coherence uh, that the uh, is pioneered through the Institute of Heart Math and some of the techniques they're doing. Uh, is very powerful. There are techniques of breath work where using breath to lubricate those neuropeptides, you don't have to even know what the trauma is, but you will lubricate those uh, and allow those neuropeptides to metabolize and pass in the, in, through, through the body. And, you know, we, and we do this in, in our programs. And it's fascinating because those neuropeptides contain uh, micronutrients and trace minerals depending on, on what the trauma is. That's what they're made of. And as those neuropeptides are being released, people say all the time, their mouth tastes like metal or their breath will smell metallic. Mm -hmm. And they'll pass it through their tears, through their urine. They'll, they'll say the urine smells funny. And, and I'm not surprised. It's because these, uh, these neuropeptides, as they are leaving the body, they carry with them those trace minerals and the mineral residues uh, and it's it's all part of our biology. But John, nobody taught us. You know, I was in school back in the 50s and 60s. I wish someone had shared these things with us. It's a very different way of thinking. There, there were people that knew it. It just wasn't commonly accepted. And it, it's being a little more commonly accepted now outside of mainstream education. Climate change is a big, big conversation. And it's going to become bigger. You know, as a scientist, John, I have to say, I, I always, when I was a kid, one of the things that I aspired to when I, I knew I would either be a scientist or a rock star, and I wasn't sure which. <laughs> I tried the rock star thing first. 
<laughs> and you know, and I enjoyed it. I, I think I you are a, a rock star scientist. Let me put it that way. <laughs> well, 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 thank you, thank you. I well, so I'll just I'll share a story. In 1967, I went to a concert uh, with a group. At that time, they were called Jefferson Airplane. They oh, then yeah. became Jefferson Starship. <laughs> I was in love with the lead singer, Grace Slick. She stood on that stage and I was in the front row and I proclaimed my love. I said, Grace Slick, I love you. Of course, she completely ignored me. <laughs> but, the, but the point was, I, I looked around in that it was an indoor stadium and there were maybe 30 or 40,000 people in that stadium. Uh-huh. And what I saw that a few people on that stage could do something that would change the lives and move the hearts and souls of those 30 or 40,000 people. But I also saw saw something else, and I noticed this really early on, because when the music was over and we were leaving that stadium, people wanted to have that feeling again, but they needed something outside of themselves to recreate the feeling. They needed, at that time, it was a vinyl album or an eight-track tape, this crazy technology. They needed that to recreate that feeling. Well, at the same time, I had another experience. I, I saw a man uh, who passed not long ago. His name was Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, many many of our viewers know who Billy Graham was. He was an evangelical speaker. And, and I can't say I was on board with 100% of everything he said. Mm-hmm. But I recognize this, that he was speaking to 70,000 people in an outdoor stadium, Kansas City A's athletic stadium. And he moved the hearts and souls like the Jefferson Airplane did. Here's the difference. When people left, they didn't need something outside of themselves to have the feeling because his words had changed the way they. Tear into softness with new weighty edges. New Charmin Ultra Soft Smooth Tear. They felt about themselves and the change was lasting within them. They didn't need something outside of themselves to carry that change into their lives. So I recognized that early on. And I said, there's got to be, you know, either through music and the words in the music or through through the precision of the words that are so powerful. And, you know, may I say, may I take a moment and just say something about words? Can I can I say anything you want to say, Greg, anything? Well. I'm just going to invite, thank you, John, and, and I just want to invite our, our viewers and our listeners, if you've never thought about this, we speak so commonly, we don't often think about what's happening. We are such a highly advanced, technologically sophisticated, soft technology. That's what we are. We're not computer chips and AI and chemicals. We're neurons and cell membranes and ion potentials moving across cell walls. And we self-regulate through thought, feeling, emotion, belief, breath, and focus, and language. So when we speak, think about what what you do every time you speak. I'm going to look into the camera at our viewers. Because you, you breathe the breath of life from the world around you. And in the most intimate act you can imagine, you invite that breath to penetrate into the deepest recesses of, of your being. You take something out there and you bring it in here and then you begin to flutter your diaphragm to compress that breath in just the right way to send it back from where it just came from. And as it reverses the course and follows back up through the windpipe, 
that breath flows over the vocal cords and we vibrate the vocal cords in just the right way to reflect the emotion and the thought that we are having in our being so that we create the acoustic patterns to convey those emotions and thoughts as those waves leave our body and they fall on the eardrums and on the surface of the skin of another being who then interprets what it is that we've just experienced through those acoustic patterns. And it's never 100%. The interpretation will approximate. It will never be, you will never feel what I'm feeling precisely the same when I say it, yet we communicate this way. And I will never feel precisely what you're saying because, because we're not the same being. This is such a sophisticated experience that we don't even think about it, John Nolan. We don't yeah. even think about it. And, and it's, it's a reminder of how extraordinary we are. And, and I think we owe it to ourselves to understand who we are before we give ourselves away to the technology. Because once we do that, once we replace our biology with synthetics, our body begins to atrophy those abilities. Neurons think they're no longer needed if they're replaced with a computer chip, or the immune system thinks it's no longer needed if there's chemicals that mimic that function. Cell membranes, uh, sensors in the skin, And once that happens in one generation, the next generation, the cells, they say, oh, yeah, we used to do that. I'm I'm paraphrasing a cell. We used to do that, but maybe we don't need to do that anymore. This is how you lose a species. It's exactly how you lose a species. And it can happen in a single generation. We are such an extraordinary and precious form of life. And no one tells us that, John. And I think we need to. We're worth preserving it at least understanding what it is that we're about to give away to the technology before before we give it away. Okay, we made it with a couple of minutes going over time. Yet, that was powerful. So, Rama, you're going to send that to Penny, right? Yeah. So then Penny can send it out. And I would suggest we all take time to listen to that one again and a couple times. But he said a lot. Mm-hmm. And Greg Braden always does. What did they say? Greg, what did Greg Braden say? He's part. Part Cherokee. Cherokee and, and part. Um, Hebrew. Hebrew. Quite a combination. Mm-hmm. Whatever that combination of, it came out very well. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for your listening ears tonight. And we will continue this this afternoon. Yes, exactly. I agree. All right. Rainbird, (laughs) you're on. Continue. Okay. Thank you for that talking stick. And and ditto about Greg Braden. And, yes. And the whole evening was wonderful. So, so much gratitude for all that we did here tonight and yes let's do this again this afternoon and i pass this talking stick thank you yes we continue to do the work this afternoon everybody see you then sat nam rama sat nam ki 13 thank yous honey in the heart no evil and live long and prosper until we see you again aloha <laughs>